Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are here with a sprightly sequel to our previous episode, with follow-up discussions about the West Coast Avengers run by Steve Englehart, Al Milgram, and Joe Sinnott, an overview of the current Suicide Squad arc by Rob Williams and John Romita Jr., Hostage by Guy DeLille, as well as a look at the DC Hanna-Barbera crossover specials, the uses of fanfic, the possible Mia Culpas of Marvel, a full spoiler discussion about the movie Logan and the Justice League trailer, and much, much much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Leave us comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! <laughs> Graham McMillan, hello! How are you, sir? I'm, um, yeah, I think I'm basically... I, <laughs> You'll uh, take it. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And yourself? I'm good. I, I have had a, a remarkably, I'm not sure if relax is the right way of putting it, but I feel like I've had lots of weekends in a row where it's been like, you're doing something, you're doing something, you're doing something, you're doing something. And I actually got to like sit down and read today. Ah, oh, that's nice. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. And it's, it's been the longest time since that's been true. So yeah, yeah, I'm good. Well, good. Good. I'm glad. I feel like I did indeed do that today. I don't know if I've had much of a chance to actually sit down sit down much. So, it's kind of funny to me how much some of the comics that I'm going to be talking about tonight, if we get around to it, is are very much like, huh, this is this really is like part 2 of last week's episode. I'm still reading so much of the same stuff. So, um, it's kind of like I'm like, maybe I'm doing this wrong. I don't know. So Wait, why, why are you doing things wrong if you're getting to read the comics that you want? Well, I'm getting to read the comics that I want, but there is there's sort of a certain I don't know how I, I see. I think you're, you know, you're you're you, you're Graham McMillan. You're like, hey, I intake all this stuff, and it's my job, and also I read super fast. Hey, wackadoo! I had like an hour and a half, and I read all of Micronauts, and I'm sort of more of a slow. <laughs> I only read all of Micronauts: The New Voyages, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> Thanks for keeping it real, Graham. So, uh, yeah, I, whereas I find myself being very like, okay, wow, I'm, wow, I still haven't finished Cursed Earth yet. I, what is wrong with me? Like, it's the Cursed Earth for Christ's sakes. But, you know, that's a long comic. It is. It's pretty long. It plus, it's, it's funny you say that as well because I still haven't finished Hostage, which I was talking about last week. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Guy DeLille thing, right? Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, in large part because, I think I said this last week, like, it's not a book that you particularly gravitate towards, if that makes sense. Yeah, you kind of like, said. It's heavy enough that you're like, I mean, it's very good. I don't want to say that I, like, I'm avoiding it's bad, but it's just something that puts me in a particular frame of mind if I'm like, I want a quick read. You know, I not even a quick read, an enjoyable read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not where I go. Right. Right. I get it. I get it. Wow. I got to tell you where my browser's not going. Wikipedia. Boy, that's okay. There we go. April nineteen seventy, motherfucker. Anyway, yes, Graham McMillan. I I see what you're saying because there is there's the pick up put downable. Like for example, at only a relatively scant 168 pages, I've been reading um, Abandoned Cars, which I mentioned I think also last week, if not the week before, which is by Tim Lane, and mm-hmm. it's these 
he's just got this gorgeous style and but it's like super fractured narratives you know each there's like two or three pages followed by a blackout page so i should just be tearing through the stuff but it's it's not just that it's text heavy it's so clearly kind of bipolar that it's like there's the manic stuff and then there's always the depression nothing matters life is crap is there a redemptive moment maybe well let's see this time no you know well, and, but also like it's it's not necessarily even text heavy because like the Godzilla book is not text heavy mm-hmm. um it's it's narratively heavy mm-hmm. like i still haven't finished that 400 page book but this week i did catch up on like the six issues of tom king's batman i was behind mm. the three issues of suicide squad i was behind mm-hmm. like a chunk of flash like that's far more pages right no exactly you know yeah but mm-hmm. but they're much faster reads well uh, I, yeah. I had like all of the spectacular by the way hannah barbera dc universe annuals are coming out next week oh you fucker so you've you read know? them already ah yeah oh um, but, but again like you know that's more pages than the Delil would be. Mm-hmm. But there, there's just something about the Delil that is just narratively heavy. Yeah. Right. The, the, the subject matter is heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you're like, uh, I've got to be in the right frame of mind for this. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, so it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, you're, a book about where you know someone is clearly bipolar and it's about for one of a better way of putting it like real shit as opposed to hey it's fucking space ghost and green lantern <laughs> you know you do have to be in the right frame of mind or you will find yourself being like you know oh you know what i'd like to read instead son of satan right whoa you know what i mean ghost rider seems great right now if, if what? you're saying that ghost rider is more realistic than <laughs> That we might have to have words. I, all of a sudden, there's this weird swerve. I don't. I we were going along so great, and suddenly it was like, oh, Graham's narrative train sort of like derails to make sure to crush Jeff standing next to the. No, no, I, I was no, I was meaning to choose things that like you read. Oh, quickly and read, for fun is what, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, so I, I was going to say for right. pleasure, and I was like, but you know, all of these things you read for pleasure, but there's there, uh, and I don't want to say guilty pleasure either because that. It always seems like, you know, a sort of false, you know, dichotomy where you're like, this is a guilty pleasure. Right. And this is a, you know, legitimate pleasure. But, you know, uh, like, for example, you know, Flash is for me, Son of Satan is for you. Right. It's something that that is a, is a light read for one of a better way. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, no, the light reads and heavy reads, it's interesting that you can, there's different ways to make a read heavy, so to speak, you know, and you can have, get it through topic and theme or sometimes just the density, density of the experience, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I really do love the Cursed Earth stuff. It's great. And I should just tear right through it. Like I said, it's a, it's a big book, but I just also find myself like kind of having to put it down a little winded at parts just because I kind of want to savor how much it tears you through, you know. And it's 2080 70s pacing where it's like we're going to make these five pages really fucking packed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's actually something I was thinking uh, reading Catching Up with Suicide Squad. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. A chunk happens in those three issues. Oh God, yeah. You know, yeah. What I mean? like mm-hmm. Rob Williams is writing with two thousand AD pacing. Mm-hmm. Completely. He really is, he's like, okay, I'm going to fill these comics as 
full as I can. Mm-hmm. And they feel much more dense than your traditional 20-page American superhero comic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I So so how do you feel about them? Are you still digging them now that you're caught up? Uh, I really like it with the exception of this last issue felt like it was the first time it did a jump. Mm, I know what you mean. Like almost like I was missing an issue even though I No, wasn't. no. The, the – the, the, what it really is is the last page cliffhanger mm. I felt came too soon. Mm. Yeah, like, exactly. Like we knew it was coming but mm-hmm. I was like I kind of wanted another issue. I agree. I want some more build-up before you got to that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, because there is not much... There's... Williams definitely keeps things moving along, but I'm fascinated the extent to which he is not... Um, considering how much the squad is sort of being broken and tested, I suppose, in a way. You know, it's that kind of classic, like, oh, you know... The squad gets everything they want, but do they want it, you know, and who yeah. are they when they're given these challenges to be either something other than what they think they are or to be the the chance to be exactly what they are. And uh, what I thought was funny is, is that Williams does not really linger on it, 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 it as much as I would like, you know, it's just kind of. The, the other thing I find fascinating about it is that he through story in in this current storyline in a three issue space mm-hmm. you have in fact in a two issue space you have Deadshot and Boomerang both betray the squad mm-hmm. and apparently kill someone mm-hmm. else on the team yes uh, and obviously there's more to it than like e- even when you know they do the reveals It's clear there's more going on than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. But even so, the fact that Williams is like, he's a traitor, he's a traitor. Mm -hmm. So like immediately after each other, I had this moment of like, this, this is not not too much, but it's like, I feel like this is your last arc on the book. It does. Oh, it really does in a way that I find kind of worrying sort of because it, because it, because it almost has a lot of, End game moves with some of the characters. I mean, the fact that you kind of have a uh, sort of that weird killer croc enchantress relationship, um, jumps so far ahead so fast in a way. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like, that's odd. And, and just, just the stuff, just things it, in this sense, it sort of does remind me of the stuff that I was ta- sort of talking about with Marvel seventies comics in the sense of what I, what I inferred was there as a kid when I went back and read it, it kind of wasn't there or it was just like, it was signposts. It was signposts of like, Oh, here's this and here's that in, and you, you, the reader bring that great sense of romantic tragedy to it. And there's a certain, there's a, a lot of that with, with this in a way. And part of me is like, Man, you know, play play the string out, you know. Except I kind of get the sense that for whatever reason, Williams is like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I thought this was going to be a great gig, and the fact is, suicide. Oh no, I I I don't get the I don't get the he's regretting the gig at all. But I do get the like I like the I get the nineteen seventies marvelness of it. I get the mm-hmm. like he's really he's making big narrative leaps. Yeah. Between arcs, mm-hmm. you know, that he is like, okay, like I basically told you this relationship's happening. Let's just take that as read and move on from it. 
Right. Right. Exactly. And which, and who knows that there's, there's a way in which that sort of connects up to some of the 2000 AD ness of it as well. I mean, the Marvel stuff was kind of like, Oh, here's a subplot that we're pointing to. Here's a, here's another two pages of the subplot. Oh, here's another two pages of the subplot. It's not till you go back and read them as an adult. You're like, that's pretty much the same two pages, you know, more or less like that. You thought there was a lot more going on there, but at least for me, but this just has like, I, I do find myself on the one hand, it's like, well, I, I look forward to picking up the comic, you know, as the digital subscription. It's one of the first things that I read when a batch comes in. Uh, but I do find myself feeling like, oh, I kind of wish I do. I wish that I could sort of savor the, the relationships. There was something about, and I don't know if that's my pacing or William's pacing or the pacing of comic books today. But I do have that memory of of feeling like, you know, the Ostrander stuff really did get the pacing just right for me. You know, it was <laughs> like, here's your characters. Here's your character beat. Here's the change. You know, it's you just have to deal with sort of the weird narrative way that it's being told. Like uh, mm -hmm. Marvel kind of broke my heart because I somehow totally skipped um, realizing that the two trades that I bought collect, you know, the first nine issues of West Coast Avengers plus the first two parts issues of the Vision Scarlet Witch. And then the next trade that I have, Lost in Space Time, picks up at issue 17. And so there's like seven issues missing in between the two trades. And when I started reading it, I'm like, wait a minute, wait, what's going on with Hank Pym? What the fuck, people? Like, you know, <laughs> it was really this thing of I really enjoyed the fact that on the one hand, in seven issues, half a year, you know, two of the characters had, you know, changed for better yeah. or for worse, you know? Yeah. And it was like, that's uh, God, God love Englehart. But the thing that's funny is in order to get that, one of the things that he has to do is the banter that he has when people fight, which is, you know, sort of a thing that you don't really have people do in fights in comic book fights anymore is so, um, it's like philosophical arguments, you know, the person saying, well, this is who I am now. Well, this is who I am. You know, and you should look out for me because speaking of that, I'm this, you know, yes. and it, I, it, Englehart's characters, it almost always makes, but especially in their fights, Speaking declarative statements. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Well, no, I am the something something. I am the something something. Last time you saw me, I was toast. Yes. Now I am crumbs. Yes, exactly. You know, I, yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, uh, you know, I will catch the reader up literally by just, you know, by telling instead of showing, but doing it in such a wonderfully melodramatic way that you're like, sure, okay, right. Well, because what I, one of the things that I really like too about it is, is that it's this Engelhart re reading it. I was really aware, like, this is this huge extension of the Stanley style where the characters are bantering, but in many cases arguing while they fight, like totally the sort of Cap and Hawkeye exchange which was basically the same exchange over and over and over again like you get variations on that when you have like tigra bad mouthing 
a firebird or whatever in, in like one of the fights or mockingbird as she's fighting master pandemonium explaining who she is and her history is and why she's so great and how he underestimated her and it it has it's a it's what's interesting is is that you know lee just did it in a well it's a Let's uh let's generate some conflict. Boy, people sure seem to love that conflict, you know. And Englehart is either doing it for, he he does that's how he sort of provides his info dumps, I suppose, but a lot of his his soap opera, a lot of the conflict in his characters usually happens while two members of the team, you know, while they're fight beating up another team, but they're not yes. you yeah. know, but they're sort of not really squabbling with themselves. They are just in that stage of disagreement and it's, yeah, it's glorious. <laughs> I, have, I, I think, yeah. sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. You should go. Cause I think that's, I was, I was going to change. Well, sort of spinning off this and going back to William's suicide squad for a bit. One of the things I really like about William's suicide squad is I feel like he writes broader mm-hmm. than most other writers in contemporary superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And so you get like, cause boomerang especially is fucking shtick. Like, right. it's just a massive amount of shtick right. uh, when he's in the, the group setting. Mm-hmm. He, he will have moments outside of the group setting where you, you get a deeper look inside the character. Right. But Boomerang, and to a lesser extent Harley, mm-hmm. are very, very defined by shtick mm-hmm. when they're in the ensemble. And I really like that. It's interesting. I I think I wouldn't like it if it wasn't for the fact that Williams in order has really made the, um, the two narrative per issue idea work for him. So the first half started by seeing those characters in isolation. Yeah. I mean the, not the first half of the issue, the first half of when he does it. One of the things that's been really fun over the last three issues is how he does the, okay, the story ends and then it picks up, it, you know, it's it, it like immediately afterwards. Yeah, exactly. It's a continuation just with a different artist, but because he changes the framework of who or how he's telling the story from, it's, it's a really fun, effective way to make it work. You know, he really kind of gets that like, oh, I'm telling an introspective story about blah, blah, because you're expecting that from the first 10 issues. But surprise, I'm actually going to turn around and they're going to get shanked now, you know? Yeah, and, and also, I, I could be wrong. I could be misreading the uh, promotion for the next storyline. Mm-hmm. But I get the feeling that the two-story uh, framework is being dropped in the next storyline. It wouldn't surprise me because... because it feels like he's working towards that, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like this this storyline is very much. It looks like it's two stories, but it's all one story, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of a it's sort of a mini one man version of the trifecta that you know yeah, thing right? that he did, and yeah. it feels like it feels like the correct net stage is is just doing issue long stories again, right? And I, I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Well, I, I, me too. Although part of me is like, maybe, cause I don't, I don't know. You would know, cause I pay absolutely no attention to solicits at all, which is why I've got some questions coming up for you. But I really have, uh, um, just looking at some of the sales, considering where Suicide Squad is at, uh, part of me sort of would feel like if he wasn't going to get yanked by editorial, uh, but I would be kind of surprised, you know, because at this point uh, he's he's definitely on for at least the next arc. Oh, okay. 
Well, that's uh, the next good. artist is Tony Daniel and, as artist. Oh, well, all right. I say that as somebody like, who... I'm going to say you like Tony Daniel. I like Tony Daniel when he is writing and drawing because until he basically gets too overexcited, has too much sugary cereal, you know, designs six new characters in the first three issues, and then basically crashes and has an artist take over to play out the rest of the string, and then he's gone in two arcs after promising he'll be there for five years. That's... That's sort of that's the Tony Danza like the 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 caffeinated out of his mind Tony Daniel I adore but when he's when he's doing other people's stuff you know nobody's going to tell Tony Daniel like okay I want you to draw Mr. Peanut but kind of like he's a light bulb but he's also supposed to be like the most baddest of badass Batman villains you know what I mean nobody comes up with that idea apart from an artist I suppose you know, so I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe someone. I mean, I, 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 I'm choosing to be the optimist here. I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a Zod arc. Well, there's the Zod arc, and there really is that very strange menagerie of alternate creatures, right? That haven't quite broken out the Osmo Cargonauts or something. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? I really don't. Those, those, there's like those five or six sort of figures. There's Zod, and there's those five or six figures that I think are glance, glimpsed briefly. I, I forget if they if they fight them in the first arc or something. But the the the, the ones who were at the Russian base where they took the 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 egg from, essentially. Yeah, the... I think so. Right? Don't they okay. pop up again and sort of are in the background? Like we we only get a little bit of a chance to see them in the first arc, I thought, and then. You see them sort of hovering in, in this background of this one being like, yeah, ah, ah. So maybe I'm wrong. Graham, what? Yes. Uh, two questions and they're interrelated. Um, one, uh, is it, Flintstones is getting canceled by season, by issue 12. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Wow. That's a bummer. Is that, is that been like, well established for a while it must be since uh, i'm not nine, sure it's right? been well established as much as like it's it's an open secret i don't I think at any point they're like it's only 12 issues everyone <laughs> but like mark russell's been talking about it being 12 issues for a while oh i see okay because i only found out about it through reading the dc sales figure column over at the beat recently and mm-hmm. he he mentioned because of course flintstones was way down there yeah. Uh, I I could be wrong, but I think all of the, the first wave of Hannah Barbera books are ending with issue 12. Wow. Definitely Future Quest is ending with issue 12 as well, uh-huh. although it's getting launch. Because I think they're talking about it as season one. Interesting. Uh, whereas I think Flintstones is ending in part, not just because of the, the poor sales, but because Russell's moving on to Snagglepuss. Oh, I see. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, that's actually... But people, really if enough. you want more Flintstones... Pick up the Flintstones Booster Gold Annual coming out <laughs> next week, which is, I'm incredibly happy to report, a Flintstones comic that just so happens to have Booster Gold in it with the same approach that Mark Russell brings to the Flintstones. Oh, good. I'm really glad because I couldn't remember if Russell was writing it. So he is? Yeah, he is. Okay. He is. It's him and Rick Leonardi who actually like does some very un-Rick Leonardi work, but it looks lovely. Interesting. I can kind of see it, actually. I never would have made the connection between Leonardi and Steve Pugh. But when she said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can kind of, yeah, all right. That sounds good. How about, since we were talking about Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad Banana Split special? Uh, I am happy to report as well 
that it is written by the Tony Bedard who writes the KFC. Yay! And it's drawn by Ben Caldwell. Oh, wow. So... All told, it's great. Also, that's the one that has the Snagglepuss backup. Yes, and it, and which is good, I hope. Uh, it is really frustrating because it is qu- clearly like, this is the prologue. Mm. What they didn't really talk about with any of these is, I think all of these are prologues for, for f- new launches. And so the Snagglepuss one is especially, really feels like, here's a preview for a real comic. Shit. Um, and... To a lesser extent, so does Howard Chaykin's Rough and Ready, and of all things, Dan DiDio's Top Cat. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. What does Dan DiDio's Top Cat read like? Uh, it reads like Dan DiDio's Top Cat, Jeff. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, in everything that promises. Um, DiDio's a really strange writer. I. I can't even say like he's a bad writer. He's a bad writer when he tries to write serious, I think. But when he, like, I think his OMAC is relatively strong. Uh, I think his Commandy, like shorts in the, in the opening of Commandy Challenge was, oh. was reasonable. Uh, and so you, that's kind of the, the deal you get here. So the plot is it's Top Cat who has shown up in the DC universe and he, he's meeting up with Batman. Mm-hmm. And so it's very tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fine, but again, like Snagglepuss, well, actually not like Snagglepuss, it's more slight than the Snagglepuss one. Mm-hmm. So you really don't get a good flavor as to whether or not it's a good comic. Mm-hmm. And also, to be honest, Phil Winslade's art does not help it. Interesting. It's a little bit too sketchy for Top Cat, hmm. if that makes sense. I guess it does. I haven't seen Winslade's stuff in a long time. I really thought he would be like a per, like, oh, he's going to knock that out of the park kind of thing. So. Uh, he's weirdly too realistic, I think. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't it doesn't really work for me. Um, something that really did work for me, and I'm genuinely surprised, is Chaken's rough and ready. Really? Which is, I mean, it's Chaken doing Chaken. <laughs> it so really is. It's does like, rough you know, blow 19... ready, or does ready blow? No, but rough? It, it's but it's like you know, it's 1950 showbiz, and it's kind of a skeezy world. <laughs> right. And then he like just drops in rough and ready. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not really redesigned them. So you have these flat two-dimensional characters, like cartoon characters, mm-hmm. in, like, the traditional Chicken world. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that, like, it's the start of their showbiz career. <laughs> and it kind of works. <laughs> and I was like, what? I, this is a Howard Chicken comic. <laughs> and it's like, it's a very Howard Chicken comic. And yet I, I'm like, I'd read more of this. <laughs> like, genuinely surprising. Uh, and Snagglepuss is good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to suggest that Snagglepuss is, is good. It's just that I really wish there was more. Yeah. Um, there's uh, – this sounds weird, but Russell doesn't get Snagglepuss's voice exactly right, mm. but the Snagglepuss he writes is kind of great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one panel in particular where he gets it spot on mm-hmm. that makes me go, oh, I want more of this. Mm. Um, and you'll know it when you see it, because it's the part where you can imagine the cartoon character's voice in your head, mm-hmm. reading the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's exactly right. Um, but the, it makes you, it's a, it's a great teaser for the series. Because it does make you think, oh, Russell really could do a lot with this concept. Mm-hmm. 
but it's so short that you don't really get a chance to like get your teeth into it. It's I want to say it's like maybe five pages. It's, so it's really short. Five pages, and is one of those pages the page that was ran as preview yes. art? Yeah. So I, I mean, would, that's really. That's actually the last page. See, that's story. kind of what I was afraid of because that's such a strong – it's got such a nice oomph at the end of it. I'm like it's either the first page or the last page and considering where he could go from there, it makes sense that it would be the last page unfortunately. So ugh, ugh. Well, uh, it did get people excited about it. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and I, I think – like I said, I think the series will be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and for everyone – this is a spoiler, but it's not a spoiler. For everyone who saw the preview and was like, is that Oggy Doggy? It is Oggy Doggy. Oh, great. Like, he actually identifies himself earlier in the story. Terrific. And he's a, he's a wannabe playwright, because of course he is. Because <laughs> of course he is. Yeah. That's so funny. That is so funny. Huh. Um, and did you, the Batman one, because it's Batman Yosemite Sam by Tom King? No, wait. No, that's, no, no, that's, that's, sorry, that's, the, that's the Looney Tunes one down right. the line. That, that's, uh, so the, the four are Flintstones Booster Gold, mm-hmm. um, Green Lantern Space Ghost, mm-hmm. Future Quest, Adam Strange, mm-hmm. and, uh, Suicide Squad's Banana Splits. Right. And of the four, if you can only buy one, mm-hmm. I honestly think it's probably Suicide Squad Banana Splits hmm. because the the it's the one that sort of commits best to its premise mm-hmm. and that in Caldwell art is just fucking lovely. Mm. Interesting. Lovely. Well, fab. That is good to know because I got to say that was definitely the one that I was most excited by. Excited, I think. Yeah. It's 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 they they were all surprisingly strong. Mm-hmm. But like banana splits and, and Flintstones are are by far the strongest. Hmm. Well, that is, like I said, that is very good to know. So, uh, I don't know. Is there some place? Oh, I know. Since we're since we're on this DC tip, what uh, I, I believe didn't was it the Justice League tra- the trailer? Did it drop today or did it drop yesterday? And only saw it. It today? dropped. No, it dropped this morning. Oh, okay. All right. So, so this is certified fresh. By wait what? Wait, uh, what did you think? Because I, I've got to admit, I watched this morning and like didn't really pay attention to it, and so watched it again just before we recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, in large part because I was like, we're probably going to talk about it, right? Uh, what did you think? What did I think? I thought that, uh, uh, oh God, you know, honestly, I watched it and I was like, I cannot believe that fucking Aquaman's going to be the breakout star of this. Like that just <laughs> sort of blows my mind and i gotta admit like if everyone's wondering why the fuck you know ben affleck has become so much pissier about playing batman i think it's because you know i mean i think jason momoa is an impressive figure in many senses of the term but i you know i don't think that he's necessarily got the chops that someone like affleck has and i think affleck I think there's a lot of things haunting Ben Affleck in his choice to do Batman, probably not least of which is I really kind of half suspect that he did it to get funding for Live By Night, the movie that more or less sank utterly without a fucking trace. Um, and I just think uh, – but I do think like watch watching that trailer, I was like, I cannot believe Aquaman's going to be a big star. And I'm like, God, I bet Ben Affleck's really f- just – fucking annoyed by this you know because it is it's kind of this thing of like 
I, I mean, honestly, I really do. I think Ben. I think Ben Affleck's got a variety of fascinating ego problems going going on with him, but I do not think that he is untalented. I really do not. And I think he's going to. I think he was looking at that stuff, being like, "I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't. This guy is just. This guy just is like a dude with a beard, you know. But he's. It's clear. I think Aquaman is actually going to end up being. Huge. Weirdly enough, there was just the one or two lines that he had. It's, it's, just... it's the last line. It's the mm-hmm. line after the credits where yeah. he, he, his, it's like, dread. I dig it. Like, it's not just that it's a funny line and it's a funny line. Mm-hmm. It's the, it is his completely like tossed off delivery. Yeah. yeah. Like really fucking works. And mm-hmm. you're like, Oh shit. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. I, Part of me finds it hard to believe that we're going to get a, 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 like, that sort of, that trailer sort of felt like maybe they took every, like, they squeezed half the fun they have in the movie into the trailer, but, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really, that's just me. What can I say? I, I, it was, I thought that it was fascinating to the extent that I was like, oh yeah, I'd be into this, and part of me is also like, I also feel like there's so much counter programming against it. Like I, I don't know how much they're going to be able to move that ship, uh, in mid direction. You know, I, I think they started trying to turn it as soon as Batman versus Superman, the reviews came out. They were like, okay, okay, we got to make it lighter. We got to make it lighter. We got to make it lighter. Quick, quick, quick. You know, but I don't know if that's really going to, if there's going to be a spirit of, fun in it you know what i mean that the trailer sort of promises but i mean that's kind of well yeah that's the thing i mean this is so this is the first official trailer but there's also like the the whatever the preview they put out around san diego was as well yes um which also was like hey you guys jokes yeah Yeah. um and on the one hand hooray jokes Mm -hmm. like i like jokes and the jokes are all right you know Mm -hmm. sure but on the other hand, you can kind of feel this flop sweat coming off, can't you? Oh, yeah. Where they're like, hey, don't, don't you get it? This isn't the dark thing that you thought Batman versus Superman is. Then come on. Come and see it. We'll laugh at ourselves. We get the joke, too. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, shit, you guys. <laughs> this, well, it, it, it's just, it does, it makes them look a bit desperate. Well, you know, you know? I, I, right, which I don't necessarily think that I... My problem is just kind of the, and this is going to sound ridiculous, particularly based on, I don't know, a variety of factors, not least, least of which will be the discussion that we're going to have coming up about a certain movie. But I, I, there's just part of me where I'm like, I, my, I'm a little more worried by the tonal inconsistencies that people were, that people walking out of Suicide Squad were like, I, think i would have preferred to have watched the original director's cut maybe i can't tell you know i i I think i just watched like three films right i'm not quite sure what happened Mm -hmm. i was just i think because i watched the justice league trailer today i was like i kind of want to watch suicide squad again (laughs) because i come under superman i remember i kind of remember the film if that Mm -hmm. makes sense Mm -hmm. suicide squad i kind of remember being an assaulted <laughs> that's really funny 
because uh, I think this may be a good segue to um, – I was at the comic book it, store for the first time, exactly, in forever, and there came the discussion about Logan. And people were like, what do you think? And what was great was at one point the people that I was talking with, and perhaps it's sad and to be expected that be, the oldest among us, Hibbs and I, were both like – yeah, wait, why does Logan leave the hotel? Why does he leave her alone with Professor X? That's, no, I mean, literally, what is he, go he's not going and getting Cheetos. And of course, someone stepped up and he's like, he's going and he had to get the car for the thing, then the stuff so that they could get away without being tracked. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, that doesn't seem really convincing, does it? So let's talk about <laughs> Logan. Let's talk about Logan. So clearly you didn't like it. Or it's not true. Clearly, you had problems with it. You know, it's just the weirdest thing. I really, I, I really dug the first two thirds of it, and at the end of it, I definitely like shed old man tears, exactly as they were planning on me doing it. But, but by the same token, there was a point where I wandered away from the movie, and I couldn't quite get back. Um, and so I guess we should throw the full spoiler flags here, uh, even though everyone's like, what are you talking about? It's been like, I don't know, three weeks. Everyone's seen exactly. Logan. Logan. Logan's been out for a month. What it's are you it's, about it's an guy? old movie. Exactly. You can't spoil that. So, but for myself, I think the movie, I understand in many ways why the movie made the choice is that it did, but when they more or less get you know, befriend uh, Eric LaSalle's family and end up back at the farm. And then they go out to, you know, Logan goes out with him to get the water thing rebooterated. I was very much like, why? The, the, it's, it's very much the part where I checked out. Like I was kind of like, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't, do you really need to have this in here? And the various payoffs for the scenes that you have, the great scene with, um, Professor X waking up and more or less making his confession to Logan. Ha ha ha. The moment after that, the whole Superman threeness of th that fight. But then for whatever reason, I, I think in part because there was such the, um, they just kind of got away and fled because they had to a little bit. You know what I mean? Like there was really that moment where, everyone like what I really like is the showdown on the farm basically goes wrong for everyone. Like the bad yeah. guys think they've got the advantage. It more or less falls apart in, in part because Caliban, you know, busts a move and you have a scene where, where dark Wolverine gets, you know, impaled on a tractor thing. And then Logan, who admittedly is, spent the majority of the movie where his options are always like, let's run, let's run, let's run for a guy who's supposedly like pissed off and actually has a tactical advantage where he could have killed someone, killed basically everyone and more or less ended it right there, chose to run at a, at a, it just didn't, it just, I, I spent more of my time being like, I don't know if I get this. And then the, the movie's very deliberate pacing for throughout the movie, which for the most part I thought worked for it was fine up until I really felt like that movie felt like six hours long. And so I'm a guy who believe me, 
I love Cormac McCarthy as much as the next guy. So if you're going to have like a bleeding, dying guy, barely able to drive a car while, uh, you know, a young girl speaks untranslated Spanish to him for what feels like 10 minutes, I'm going to be down with it up to a point. And then up to a point, I was kind of like, let's, let's kind of, it, 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 it felt, it, it felt overstuffed as a movie and what was nice was unlike the other x-men movies that were generally overstuffed with fan service i thought the fan service in this was relatively elegant for the most part but it was still overstuffed with too many scenes of i don't know you know logan being self-pitying which which worked to an extent and very well i think especially in the way that it plays against the superhero movie motif. But I just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of got checked out by the end. So I think that was it. I checked out. I never fully checked back in. And then when there's the big fight scene, it just felt like they had, it just, at that point, I felt like, um, I felt like a, a, um, a steer being maneuvered through, you know, Temple Grand, Grandin's slaughterhouse plan. It was like, okay, right. They've got to, the kids all have to leave, but he's got to be there. And yeah, he's got to have the super. This is going to kill me self-destructo, but it'll make me invulnerable formula. And I'm going to turn the corner any minute. And there's going to be the, the bolt going through my forehead of a tearful ending. And then we're set. Man, I know. hate everything. I, I liked the movie. It was okay. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I saw it on a big screen. But people who are like, oh my God, that was really good. I'm like, yeah, it was, it was, it was solid. They're like, yeah, that was, oh my God, that killed me. I'm like, yeah, I, I definitely cried bits, but it was just really hard for me. It's just, it's hard for me to make that jump to like, oh my God, that was an utterly sublime little movie, you know? So. But yourself, Graham, you were surprised and taken by it and kind of crushed. Oh, let's talk about that one moment, too, because I have to say I'm not entirely sure where it was because there were so many. Oh, of them. it's 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 literally the which, which moment, the moment where, like, I did well up or the moment where everyone else thought it was a joke and I thought it was really sad. That one. Uh, it's when he's destroying the car after Xavier is dead. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. entire crowd laughed, and I was like, "No, no, no! This is this is really sad." Yeah, this is really sad, right? I, I was honestly, I was honestly like, "You guys have never actually lost anyone," because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what it's like. You yeah. just get really upset at things that are really trivial, and it's like it's not a joke that he's upset that he can't start the car. Right? It's that he's actually like, "This is the thing that's triggered him after he's lost someone." Well, and I think. I saw Tegan O'Neill point this out on Twitter, uh, sadly, before I saw the movie, but it was a great point, is is that it's after Logan has a chance to try and make a eulogy for Charles, and he can't. And the way Tegan points out is, is essentially that Logan has been so violent all his life that the closest he can get for being able to deliver an elegy for someone is is to violently break apart a truck like he's he is utterly inchoate he cannot step up and deliver the the be articulate in the way that he wants to be he's at that moment he's looking at the lake he gets three words in and then he more or less just shuts down goes back to the truck and when something goes wrong he beats the shit out of it and yeah. so and so it really is it's a it's a it's and like a, that that struck me as like the most honest emotional moment in the film 
yes, although, I, I mean, I, I, yeah. Sorry, I hadn't well, yet bought. I, I was going to say yes, and my, the thing that actually really bothers me is, is that part of me, because this is like a movie that doesn't have to be so relentlessly buried in, um, you know, emotional realism, it actually kind of bothers me that Logan's, he real it it's literally only in the very last seconds of his life that he's able to connect uh with x twenty three like that's yeah. the only... and and that's that's the part where i got um like i got teary and yeah. specifically when she called him daddy well see, and that's i don't it. know why no no but exactly when she said that yeah. i was like oh you motherfuckers and i don't know why mm-hmm. well because that really really like it's brutal. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting to me also about Logan in that sense is for what it is, it's, it, it really is quite strong and it's perfectly structured and she's fantastic. Um, she, but, she really was an amazing actress, wasn't she? I thought so. Like I was, the, and what it really was for me was when she was like the nonverbal feral child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I really think she sold that, and I think that's a terrible cliche. And I think she sold it in a way that I wasn't expecting. Well, yeah, I think I think she she did. She sells it in that way. And one of the things, I mean, I'm not really a big fan of James Mangold's pacing, for example, but I completely have to give it up for a guy who can get performances out of actors. I mean, she's great. You know, she is great in this. But it's it's how she is as feral, and then also the way that her her emotional guardedness is different than his emotional guardedness. And one of the joys of the film that sort of takes place kind of late is this idea that she starts to open up, and he still can't. And there's a way yeah. in which part of me is like, that's fabulous. I just wish we weren't already two hours into our two hour and 45 minute movie or, you know, it's probably like, <laughs> it is a long film. It is it? long. It's like two hours and 20 minutes. So it could very well have been like an hour 45 in or something like that. Uh, but she's great. And so when she does open up, what's also wonderful is how she's able to play the sort of sublimated, the, the long, you realize how much she shut down because like she, she's, She's shut down because she wants a father so much and because she thinks that it's him. <laughs> and you realize that's why she's been shut down is she's sort of so shut off in a way sort of from herself. And it kind of makes sense that, you know, the Mangold and, and uh, the screenwriters and everyone are like, yes, and that's really different from where Logan's at because Logan is really shut down because – He's old and he's a fucking mess. And when you've been doing this all your life, you can't just flip a switch and have it turned back on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yet part of what bothers me is, is that, you know, for myself, have you seen Prisoners or no? No. Um, Prisoners is Hugh Jackman in a, ro- in, a, in a role where he, impressively enough, he's actually angrier than he is as Wolverine. Um in the, in the various movies. And he's actually, he's quite good there at that, but there is also an element of, 
uh, well, there's two things. So for me, it's very much, I had trouble with, with Jackman's emotional change in that sense, maybe because they change it, save it for the very last second. But I was like, ah, come on. Like in a way I'm like, you don't see any part of that facade really crumble for me. You see scenes and I, in a way I appreciate it. The scenes where you see him feeling sorry for himself is very much just him feeling sorry for himself. I feel like I'm talking myself into, into liking this movie more. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but at the same token, I was kind of like, yeah, I thought I, her performance is amazing. And not least because I feel in some ways she as an actress is able to kind of hit those transition points in a way that she, that Jackman's characterization doesn't. And part of me is like, yeah, they kind of make it so that that's not the role that he's playing, but I found it hard. Also for me, I thought that as much as, as you know, I love Superman three and therefore the Wolverine dark Wolverine thing is like, this is the movie to do that in. And it was perfect and really enjoyable. And yet at the same time, there's part of me that really would have enjoyed seeing more of that in a way from Laura's eyes than you do because of the, here's the good dad, bad dad kind of choice, you know, here. And there is a little bit of the, the way that they played in prisoners. Jackman's character is so angry that you really can tell that he's somebody who is abusive in his relationships. And although you don't want that in, you don't want Logan to do that. I don't think that's like, oh yeah, that would be a really great dark place to take the character. Exactly. Let you, let's not go there with, you yeah. know. Sure, it's an R-rated superhero film, but let's not go to the place where he is like the abusive, like it's the extra abusive Wolverine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, don't think it's, I don't think it's where anyone wanted that to go. No, 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 no. And I'm not saying that I do either, but I do think that sort of the same way that. um People talk about Old Yeller as as playing with that sort of the undercurrent, I suppose, of the good parent is the bad parent kind of your your the figure that's protecting you is also the figure that you're afraid of. I think I don't think you have to put that. You can basically keep that very separated by having like literally a bad clone of a character, you know, but it just. It just never worked that way. I mean, you know, the Dark Wolverine ultimately ended up being just kind of a one part awesome special effect of which one part of that was, you know, the awesome effect that is Hugh Jackman's workout regime, I guess, you know, <laughs> I, I've got to say, uh, I'll agree with you. That I think the film's too long. And also, I kind of wish that the final confrontation had been the one at the farm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Everything yeah. after the farm yeah. felt not superfluous because obviously you needed like you needed the end of the story, right? Right. But at the same time, like that had been the emotional high point of the film for me. Like that was the emotional climax. Yeah. For, yeah. As far and in large part because not just you, you Xavier Xavier dies there, but because when you see like, you know, young clone Wolverine I feel like there's nowhere to go with the bad guys after that. No, exactly. And I think yeah. that I think that's telling with the final confrontation where they're like, "It's all the bad guys," and remember, Evil Colin Wolverine, him again. And there's something about that where you're like, "Really? Yeah, yeah." No, it's true. I, I mean, it works. I think it works for just a, a kind of of a, a variety of factors. I mean, because it's not just 
it's not just Professor Eckstein, but Caliban, who actually I thought was handled really, really well throughout the movie. Um, you know, it also... Although, I have to say Stephen Merchant's accent really took me out of the story. Oh, <laughs> I was but... just like, it's fucking Stephen Merchant. I don't know why. Everyone else, I'm like, sure, I'm in, like, I, I, have, I am, you know, following the story. Stephen Merchant talking in his Stephen Merchant voice. I was like, it's Stephen Merchant, but he's, he's painted white. Yes. I don't know why. Yeah, no, I get it. I do get it because I think it is kind of hard. But again, I thought also thought he gave a really pretty good performance in that sense. So, you know, he sold what he had, which was surprisingly little in a way to work with. So, yeah, I, I you know, so, yeah, you get this big emotional climax at the farm. And then essentially to keep going was this choice of like, oh, but now it just it felt it felt like a bad plotting mistake. It would have been nice to have it be more of an extended stalemate. Plus, it also feels, it feels kind of gross that it's like, hey, I mean, you know, it probably feels thematically correct for these days in America that the African-American family who befriends some white people get completely slaughtered for their troubles. But it's still kind of like gross that that ends up being so disposable, you know, like, it's kind of like, oh, and those people all die. And you kind of feel it because you're, you know, you feel you're, introduced to them and they're given some weight but it's not like by the time that you know you've got the adamantium bullet coming into play you're like yeah this is for eric lasalle and eric lasalle's family yeah so you know exactly because let's face it at that point who is even thinking about that right so whereas i think if you had structured the climax a little more toward the um, toward the farm, I think there's a lot of ways in which it could have built very big, you know, big, been brutal, then you have a little more of a thing, and then, I don't know, but it really was kind of a, oh shit, and now we bring back the, oh shit shit moment, and it just, it just, yeah, it felt, it felt like, uh, it felt like bad, crafty screenwriterism rather than, than the actual gambit. So maybe that's it. Maybe that moment of the, that had all my emotional climaxes and the rest of it was kind of me being like, eh, if you say so kind of thing, you know, even though it had but, some lovely but no, moments, I, like everything after that, uh, you know, the meeting, the other kids, right. The, cause you, cause once you meet the other kids, you know, they're going to get away. Do you know what I mean? Like that there's no narrative tension there. Right. There, there there's no question. Or at least there was no question for me once she met the other kids that, of course, they're going to get away Mm -hmm. like that. That just seems to follow. And a large part of me wishes that that they had basically they'd given up on going to to the utopia Mm -hmm. that that the farm was their final destination Mm -hmm. and that you played that, that out for longer. Yeah, I agree. And, and like, yeah, that would have saved a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get, you know? it, yeah. But, but that said, like, I, I still did, you know, completely, like, the, my favorite emotional moment was the, the, came after the farm with, with him losing it at the truck. Yeah. And I still completely teared up at, at his death. Mm-hmm. And also, I really, as much as I really didn't appreciate the, and then Laura, turns his uh, cross into an X, which was like, oh, too much. It was I, it too really, much, wasn't it? Ah, it? Oh, it was a shame. It was horrible. There's a uh, moment where he's got a but, cut but on I his really head that's an X earlier, you know, that was kind of charming, I suppose. 
but I really appreciate that the film just ended there. You yes. I mean, like, it's like, mm-hmm. he's dead, the film's over. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I, I really like that. Yeah. And I kind of wish that we it actually literally stopped at his death. Yeah. You know, which no one would have allowed. <laughs> you can just imagine the studio notes being like, no, you've got to see the girl get away. Like, you have to see her be okay after. But I wish it had just ended with his death. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, I I, it's interesting. I see that. I'm kind of – I do appreciate the fact that she – I mean, I, I agree. The cross being turned on its side was too much. There's actually a scene right before it where there's a kid holding a Wolverine toy. And I I was like, oh, that – that almost works, you know what I mean? But, but, but at least they sort of you see them walk off, and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen to them. In theory, it seems like yep. oh, it's just over the next bridge, and they're scot free. But you don't know. You still don't necessarily. You're taking it on faith that that who they're talking to are actual revolutionaries, and not people who are going to like just sell them into a different type of slavery. You know? Yeah, I actually do like that. And they never actually say like they never actually definitively go. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's real. You know, you still, at the end of the film, do not know for sure what is beyond the, the, the ridge. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I was really, really glad for that. So, yeah, I mean, it could have it gone a number of horrible, horrible ways for sure. But at least it – and it was enjoyable. I'm glad I saw it. I teared up. Teared up a couple of times. And I thought Patrick Stewart was great. Oh, my God. So good. But, but at the same time, yeah, it was – you know, it was a solid B. It was a solid B. I gotta tell you. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know if you have been keeping up with like the X Men film franchise more than me. Mm-hmm. But like a solid B, it feels to me miles ahead of any other solo Wolverine film. Oh, completely. No, I like, saw. Like, yeah. Right. Logan feels infinitely better than any other film in that franchise. For sure. For sure. But part of me is like. Eh. You know, like, I'm kind of like, okay, but that, but I'm sort of like, like it's a low bar. It's a low bar to clear. And I think in oh, that sure, sense, sure. yeah, for sure, it seems like they're like, holy crap, <laughs> that guy's amazing. But, but uh, yeah, no, and considering it's the same guy who directed The Wolverine, which was a horrible piece of shit. And interestingly I enough. I The Wolverine. Oh I, I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine. That was that night. I know enough people who have seen the Wolverine, who are like, I mean, it's better than X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right. And in that sort of voice where you know that the second half of that sentence left unspoken is, but it's not good. Oh, fuck, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was like, oh, this is on HBO. I'm looking for, why not? I got a few hours to kill. And I think, I don't remember when Edie bailed. I think she made it 30, 45 minutes into it, but she's like, no. And no way. No. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stay and watch the rest of this. At the end, I was like, oh, you idiot. Yeah, it was that. And it was. It was the same it was the same director. So that's part of why when I walked into this one with such low expectations, even with people being like, no, it's good. It's really good. I'm like, yeah, no, I saw the Wolverine. I know. And people were saying that that was good. So and in a way, I think there is that Logan. Sometimes with film franchises, you can be like, hey. It was no view to a kill, waka waka, you know, best James <laughs> Bond movie, quote unquote, yet, you know, but I, but I do think that there's a little bit of the, um, it's hard for me, particularly because there is, because Logan really is, does have such the patina of like, no, 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 we're really an honest to God little movie. And I, and I thought, you know, for the most part, really delivered on those promises, but, 
but in a way that I was like, yeah, that's good. I mean, you got to keep in mind, this is the guy who like saw nearly none of the Oscar nominated films uh, last year. But the ones that I saw, like I saw Arrival, I'm like, oh, that was, yeah, that was okay. And I saw La La Land, I'm like, yeah, that was, that was okay. Yeah, that was fine. You know, at no point was I like, Ho, 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 that's the best movie I've seen in a dog's age. Oh, my God. So maybe it's just, I think, as as you point out every other podcast, it's me and it's my inability to feel joy. So, or at least that's what I feel. If there's saying. a running theme, if there's a running theme to this podcast, it's uh, <laughs> your growing inability to feel joy. It is. It is. It completely is. It's, it, 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 instead of wait, what? It should be wait, where? Wait, where has the joy gone? Um, I think, I think would be a very catchy name. Cause let me tell you, people keep really intruding on that. Wait, what thing? I got to tell you, I saw, I saw there was, there's like two, two, two women who have a wait, what podcast that that's like them talking about, like they're both new moms. And I think they're talking about like baby products and stuff. And I was like, really? Yeah. It's kind of oh weird. Oh my God, that's up. wonderful. Yeah. Oh, but it's actually called wait, what? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so oh, I mean, I'm, I'm opening up iTunes right now and looking. Can you can you find it? I ha- I have to admit, and this this is where I was like, oh shit, I've totally outed myself. I've, I saw this on a Google alert, so um, so it may not turn out up there, let's but let's see. see. Uh, I'm looking for Wade Watts. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see if Jeff Lester is a liar. Yeah, I'm always oh, a liar. Good job. good job having a Google alert. Oh, Wade yeah. Watts, a modern mother's podcast. There it is. Yeah, see. We should totally challenge. Oh my god! So shall I, tell, shall I tell you all of the Wait What podcasts that are out there? Yes, please. There's Wait What's us. There's Wait What's a modern mother's podcast. Wait, what happened? Wait, 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 wait. What's icing? Wait, what if? Wait, what really okay? Stop. Wait, what? Wait, what happened? So wait, what? And one that's actually just called Wait What Podcast. Mm-hmm. What's Wait What Podcast? I thought the moms were a Wait What podcast. Oh my god, no. Are you ready for the description of So Wait What podcast? Sure. The testosterone-filled, self-proclaimed alpha male teams with the rainbow glittering voice of sensibility for a good old train wreck. Oh, that's us. That's actually what it says. (laughs) Which one of us is the alpha male? Uh, You, and I believe you're the rainbow (laughs) voice of glittery reason what the hell Wait, is that face how, yeah. how could i how could i team up with myself you are many you contain multitudes graham i just that, sort of existed to I, f- facilitate you know <laughs> it's kind of like oh it's uh, time for graham to be clever all right uh, let me set up the pitch oh wait it's time for graham to be his you know traditional alpha male self so um, wait why am i a traditional alpha male self <laughs> I actually feel insulted that you say that about me. I I I think I am largely kidding. I don't think that we have an. I I know, but even so, like even so, I am insulted. Even just as a joke, you're like, take that back. Fuck you, exactly. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so terrible! What a terrible person I am. What, oh, hey, speaking of terrible people, did, did, what do you think of this whole Marvel retailer seminar thing that's going on? You know, did you? Uh, I, I, I know it's happening and that's pretty much it. What can you tell me? I think that's about all I can tell you is, is that I think I read either on 
Comic Speed or Bleeding Cool or both that there was a retailer uh, talks thing going on. And I, oh, it must, I think it was the beat because I think, yeah, yeah, because Heidi was really doing this weird, like, oh, you know, kind of like, Marvel, Marvel really is. They're not, they're taking these things seriously. Like, I'm like, they're not taking, they doubled down on Secret Empire. They're just making it bigger. Like, they're not, to me, I just uh, had that thing of like, the retailer thing, I could be wrong. Maybe they're really meeting those people. I think they're just trying to get them together and flatter them to get them back on their side. But I don't necessarily. Well, I can, uh, I can tell you other things that are nothing to do with this particular get together that suggest that maybe things are changing. I have heard of multiple mea culpas from Marvel towards retailers. Really? Um, yeah. Multiple mea culpas, multiple, we are going to be changing the way that we publish. We're going to be changing the way that we do outreach and we are going to be changing the way that we work with retailers. Um, I've heard from multiple people that basically Marvel is doing what DC did before Rebirth, as in actually going to retailers and saying, we fucked up, we're sorry, we realize that we are hurting right now. What can we do to make things better? Wow. Um, Coming from that, I have heard that Marvel is going to go back to legacy numbering for a number of series. Mm -hmm. That they are going to – so did you see the announcement of Generations? Uh, yes, I think. Isn't that the one that was like what the artists were TBDs or whatever? And everybody was like, what's Yeah, well, there's not even TBDs. They just didn't mention artists. They just said, hey, there's going to be 10 stories. They didn't even say 10 series. They said 10 stories. Wow. So for, publishing format is not known. Yeah. But it's basically the classic versions of the characters team up with the contemporary versions of the characters, mm-hmm. which on the one hand should not even be a thing. Like, this is not the first meeting of any of these characters yeah. with their predecessor. Right. It's being played as a really big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what I've heard, this is basically setting up a two-tier publishing program afterwards where you're going to have classic Thor and Jane Foster Thor. Mm-hmm. Like classic Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Parker and Miles Morales. You're going to have, you know, uh, uh, Tony Stark and Riri Williams. Mm-hmm. So uh, almost like an extension of the two-pronged Captain America title, I guess? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're going to be I've heard and I just don't believe this even though I've heard this from two people that Marvel have said we're not going to do crossovers next year and I just don't believe that one bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that they're going to pull back from their like relaunching every year publishing model as well Uh, I'm sort of like, wow, Graham, they're actually not doing the things that stopped working for them four years ago. I'm like, you know, I'm like, just like part, like no shit. Another part of me is like, yeah, but why, why now? Like, is it literally just the things have gone that bad that like, oh, we should change? Well, hopefully it's, hopefully they really did get the, um, you know, maybe they're like, hey, great news while, you know, the person who is squeezing our company is distracted with, uh, you know, his, his Trump positioning within the Trump candidacy. It's like, maybe he can, you know, we can like change our sales, uh, floor for a bit. But I do think that maybe they did get some sort of clearance to be like, Hey, we need to be able to change gears here. And that means that we can't try and set targets and hit targets the way that we were shooting for before, you know? Yeah. 
but but I've I've heard like I've I've I put it this way I'm not surprised by you know they're having a retailer conference and they're they're basically apologizing I've heard that before mm-hmm. I, I've been hearing that for like a month and a half or so that they've been huh? it it could yeah be. and also I can tell you from my perspective mm-hmm. uh, Marvel has reached out and said we're going to start sending out physical preview copies of comics which hmm. they haven't done in years right right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm guessing that they genuinely are going. Well, we have to do something. I I think, in all seriousness, the rebirth scared the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the fact that it coincided with like their own sales going down the toilet. Mm-hmm. They're like, how how can we do this? What did rebirth do right? Mm-hmm. And I think that they realized one of the things that rebirth did right was DC apologized. Right. Yeah, no, it's, which is absolutely true. And it's, I'm glad to hear that they might actually be doing it. But again, part of me is also, then just out of curiosity, what do you, why do you, how do you interpret their approach to Secret Empire, which appears to be I in every aspect? I, uh-huh. I, I, I like, I really don't know because that's the thing. You hear all these things that are really positive signs from Marvel and then they're like, and then in June we're doing a Hydra takeover of the industry. Mm-hmm. And you're like, really? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I said this on Twitter and I, I still stand by it. I think they're going to try and fear itself secret empire. I think it's going to be something that's going to be success purely because Marvel puts everything they fucking can into it being a success because it can't be a failure. And there's going to be no enthusiasm for this comic. But, like, you know, they'll be like, we're going to incentivize the shit out of it. We're going to promote the shit out of it. And as long as we sell, like, you know, 90,000 of each each issue, we're going to call it a hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think... I, how do I put it? Again, part of me is like, so we'll see. I guess we'll see. Cause that's my thing is, is that, that, that really to me suggests that, that what we're, what we're getting is just Marvel trying to figure out a lazy way to look like they're doing what they should be doing. But maybe, but maybe you're right. Maybe they, they absolutely are. I think we'll have to see. Seems as if maybe they're committed to the Secret Empire thing in a way that who knows could very well be. Uh, we've got to make this work, and then frankly, if it doesn't work, even then, that should be real grounds for them to be like, "Oh yeah, fuck, we got to change this up." So but I don't know. Well, part of it, part of it is also I wonder if they saw not just the the online Secret Empire, you know, concern, Shelby say, outrage, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. But I also wonder if they got like pre-orders and they're like, oh shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's, I, cause I just think, I, I don't think that, I think Marvel, I think Marvel kind of secret, I feel like Secret Wars was it for them in a way. You know what I mean? Like they really went none more big. There was no way to go bigger than, than that. And then, and who knows? Who knows? Maybe if they come back with a genuine reboot, I think that would have helped them. So, but, well, yeah, I I think the further out we get from Secret Wars, mm-hmm. the fact that it wasn't like they didn't actually because the story ends with a fucking reboot. Mm-hmm. The fa- and the fact that they they then shy away from the reboot immediately and they're like, no, it's the same Marvel universe. Some things are different. It's just amazing to me. 
Yeah. Because it feels like such a missed opportunity. Yes. Because I think everyone expected it. Mm-hmm. Everyone. I don't think anyone would have had a problem with it. No. Every, there were people I, who were openly like saying, like, now's your opportunity. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. And then Marvel was like, kind of like, yeah, I got your nose, you know. And so, or in the case of Doctor Doom, got your nose back. So, but I don't know that, I don't know that, Graham, that was pretty good for a spur of the, that was on point, wasn't it? <laughs> You're like, come on, really? Yeah. That, that, that deserves some love. Something. That deserves right? some serious love. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, we'll 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 see where it goes. We, Lord, will we see? I guess because we're because we're right here on it. Uh, boo boo boo! Wow, I'm just so like burning through. Like I think there was one other clever thing that I wanted to, to talk about or ask about, but but I think I can't think of it now. So Graham, please tell me what what do you, what do you want to talk about? Comics we've read, comics we haven't read, comics you are going to be reading. Uh, let, I'm trying to think what, what I've read this week that was particularly interesting. So I read, like I said, I, I spent a lot of this week, like, you know, Tom King's Batman, which you're up to date in Tom King's Batman, right? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. Oh, you're not? It's the opposite. No, I'm, I'm up to date in that I went to the comic book store and bought like another six or seven issues that I haven't read, but I'm, I'm kind of in a bad place. I'm thinking that I, if I haven't re- gone without reading Batman, this long and for like I think the last issue I read was issue five, maybe, maybe. Oh shit! Six. You're yeah, you're very far no, behind. Exactly it, issue twenty or something. Yeah, this exactly, week. exactly. So I don't know so, how okay. I'm going to do that. Uh, yes. So, so to pivot off that, are you are you ready to quit? I don't know. I mean, I've got these issues, so it really would see. I mean, the sad fact of the matter is, is that. um like I was, I went to Comics Experience and I picked up some beautiful, like a, you know, some beautiful trades and some great manga that I, you know, and a whole bunch of issues that have been piling up in my inbox. But there's part of me that's sort of, um, thinking like maybe I just got to figure out a way to, to switch to like trades only with Comics Experience, not, and not for those titles and switch to digital subscriptions. Cause, because, well, I say that I'm actually kind of behind on, on Deathstroke by like, I don't know, it can't be any more than four or five issues. But, you know, so it's nothing like what I have with Batman. And I'm more interested in Bat- Bat- Batman than I technically am in Deathstroke, although I really appreciate what Priest was doing with the book up until the point that I uh, sort of spaced out. But it's so much easier for me to to keep keep track of that stuff digitally. You know, um, my only problem is, is that I buy so much stuff digitally that, that it just gets buried under, you know, like I'll, I'll buy seven books and then read three and then the next week comes along and I'm like, Oh my God, get more stuff. So, uh, I think, I think I have to figure out, I really don't want to give up on Batman because I like King and I'm really interested to like some of the stuff that he's doing sounds pretty interesting i think i I, I am yeah uh, i'm a big fan and i i it's i'm always surprised uh when he embraces the goofy shit i guess like uh towards the end of the oh god what are the titles called i'm suicide i think it's the second story arc Mm -hmm. um 
like the bat sub gets a name check. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like of all the things to name check, the fucking bat sub. Mm-hmm. Uh, the net storyline starts with Batman meeting with all the different Robins in a fast food restaurant that's themed around Batman. Mm-hmm. And so, the, like you know, there's you can jokerize your fries, right? And there's you know a red hood uh, toy in the Batmite meal. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's there's all this the sort of call it the, the weird stuff, which is always surprising. But at the same time, there's a a surprisingly effective uh, emotional throughline. He basically he's doing something with the Batman Catwoman relationship, which completely feels uh, you know true to everything that's gone before, mm-hmm. but also makes them feel like adults for the first time ever hmm. in a way that uh i'm in the way that feels surprising in a way that feels like you can't not that you can't do it with batman but that no one has ever really tried and so mm. Like, mm. what who then and maybe what? this is where my like you, you've read much more batman than i have so so what am i missing well i just think uh, i guess what i'm saying is is that I, part of me feels like the standards of adultness get closer and closer to resembling real adults. I think every year that comics are around, but you know, there was this, I'm sure you remember the whole Doug Mensch, Batman, no, I, Catwoman I, I, relationship, I, I, right? I was not reading Doug Mensch's Batman. So I, oh. I really don't. All right. So for me, that is like, like I was, I, I was going to make you feel bad. i like, Jeff, I was 10 then. <laughs> You, you, were you? No, wasn't that, Jesus, am I thinking, isn't this in the mid-90s or something like that? That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, I, I, well, the second Doug Munch, I, def, I wasn't reading that either. Okay, so yeah, the second Doug Munch stuff is pretty much this whole big, you know... It was the second Doug What's that? I thought she was already spinning off her own comic at that point. Oh my god, I don't know. I don't know. Hold on. Comics, god damn. Oh, actually, let me try that. Hold on. <laughs> Detective Comics, God damn you, Graham McMillan. Um, hmm. uh, oh, interesting. Uh, interestingly enough, the first result for that is uh, a Savage Critic um, review column. Hmm, that's very interesting. That's How about that? Good. And then, what and then, what's that? By you. Uh, I don't know. Let me let me open this up and see. Uh, yeah, I don't. Oh, anyway, at some point, <laughs> is it by you? This is what hold I on. It's taking its time opening. Actually, uh, I thought I thought you were going to spit off because I it's uh, this this again. I think falls under accidental humble brags, but it's very funny when I'm writing a story and I tried try to research it and like one of the first things I see on Google is me. Yes. Yeah, and that, you're like, oh shit, because it, it's it's both funny and also really depressing. Cause you're like, oh shit, have I written this before and I've right. forgotten? <laughs> yeah. This is actually a piece that Jog wrote, and it includes a review of it's it's titled "A Review of Batwoman in Detective Comics, Focusing Mostly on the Art," and it's from 2009. So, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why he told, he said, God damn you, Graham McMillan, but you know, it's fair. Uh, so I just, I, what I remember is, is that there's a very long arc in Detective Comics where Batman and Selina go from sort of the frenemies with benefits to he reveals that they reveal their identities to each other. I mean, I guess he knew hers, but she doesn't know that he's Bruce Wayne. Oh, this, this is. I'm sure this is the 80s. Is it the 80s? Like, I'm sure, that, I'm sure that's the 80s run. Cause is that not the one that ends with her getting brainwashed by the Joker? And it's Mike Barr and Alan Davis? Oh, no. No, that can't be. Cause, Cause I, if only because I am sure they would not, like, Danny O'Neill would not let that story happen in the 90s. Like, I, I would, la- I would place money on Danny O'Neill not letting that story happen in the 90s. Uh... Cause he was, shit about that, that stuff right um maybe hold on let me see selena kyle learns bruce learns batman secret identity <laughs> while, while you're looking yes um i i want to I, I don't want to spoil but i want to tease there is a two issue batman catwoman uh sort of interlude uh between lines and the start of the second issue is the two of them telling each other the story of how they first met mm-hmm. i think and you've mentioned this yeah lovely mm-hmm. because he remembers their first meeting in continuity and she remembers the year one meeting <laughs> and so you see him go you were dressed as a woman and she's like no you were the one in disguise and it's got flashbacks to those art styles mm-hmm so you get this parallel storytelling in like, in like appropriate, you know, Miss Gerard's is doing a great Mazzuccelli ripoff hmm. and he's doing a great, you know, Bob Kane or whoever, Dick Sprang, whoever was actually drawing at that point, mm-hmm. a ripoff. Uh, but the, the narration somehow makes you believe that like they could both be talking about misremembering the same event. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's like, yeah, and then you you know, then I pulled your mask off. And she's like, no, no, no I pulled your hat off. <laughs> you have like you have these, you know, you're replaying what it you know, Batman issue one versus year one part three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just it's really it's like it's it's really it's one of those you know, of course it's Tom King comic, it's really fucking firmly smart. Mm-hmm. But it also works on a human level. You know? Yeah, and and so King sets up something that sounds very much like what you're talking about with the Doug Munch thing, which is essentially, um, they uh, they respect each other enough mm-hmm. to to not like it gets past the he has to chase after her, she has to run away, and into a place where it's like he's like, of course I'm going to let you go mm-hmm. because of course I am. And she's essentially like, yeah, but of course I'm going to stick around. Mm-hmm. And it turns into, and that then plays into the next arc. Hmm. So, so it's you know he builds, he is building a really strange storyline. There is a through line from one all the way through to what, whatever issue one now nineteen, I think. Uh, and he's ultimately telling one story, arguably two. You could arguably say like the the Catwoman thing is a different story. Um, 
But it's weird to be like, it's a Batman story that really embraces the superhero-ness. At the same time, as also embracing like the 1990s. Bane is the bad guy of this arc. Mm-hmm. Bane of all fucking people. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the supporting characters are Bronze Tiger and Psycho Pirate. Wow. Right? It's mm-hmm. It's the weirdest, you know rewarding for people who love their deep dives into DC continuity, but also the weirdest, if someone's like, okay, Batman, no one would have come up with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which is very rewarding. It's funny. So, so I read that and I read, uh, I immediately followed that by catching up with, um, the flash, uh, Josh Williamson and, and, and a, a team of artists these days. Uh, and what's funny is King is, doing something that both feels very Batman and feels very un-Batman. Mm-hmm. And Williamson is doing the best Barry Allen Flash comic in decades. And, you know, we're possibly going back to like this 70s, when we wow. say in decades. Wow. But in large part by, oh, you've also got to remember, Barry Allen was gone from like the 80s through to like a decade ago. Right. Um, but in doing so, he's doing it by doing the best Barry Allen TV, like TV Barry Allen comic stories. Yeah, that's kind of what you were saying. He's very much writing in the form of the TV show. Mm-hmm. And okay. But it works. So how is he not Wally West? Because I don't watch the show, so how what, what is the differences, right? Uh... The comic Flash is more uptight and straight laced than the TV Flash, mm-hmm. and then Wally West, mm-hmm. um, which is, makes him a little more Barry Allenish. Which makes him a little more Barry Allenless. And also, when you take as much as I love uh, Wally West and specifically Mark Waid's Wally West, mm-hmm. a substantial amount of that characterization came from I hope he live up to Barry's legacy. Well, sure, right. And just by removing that, you mm-hmm. kind of have character. Right. If you take out the, how am I going to live up to Barry's legacy? You take away half of what made, Bar- like, Wally West, Wally West. Mm-hmm. So you do that, and then you add in, um, uh, one of the things that he does, that Williamson does well, is he really takes out a lot of the um what Johns and Manipal and Venditti all leaned heavily on, which is the I have guilt over my mother's death. Oh, my father's in jail, my mother's oh, I have I have angst about this. And Williamson is pretty much I mean plus side, he doesn't have to deal with it. Like Venditti actually closed out that plot line in the previous run. Mm-hmm. But by taking that out and taking a lot of the angst out, you're left with this guy who's kind of a square, but a well-meaning square. And that's also different from Wally West, I think. Yes, I definitely do think well-meaning square is definitely different. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so it works. It, wor- it works surprisingly well, I think. That's great. That's good to know. I feel like I should be um, trying to grab a hold of that first trade or so. Are, are are you a uh, are you a Flash fan? 
I, I'm sort of a weird, like, I didn't necessarily think that I was a Flash fan, but one of the things I was aware of when selling my collection off was kind of how many Flash books that I had. Very much a, I had a really strong run, which I know we've discussed here, starting from the Mike Barron, you know, post-crisis Flash. Mm-hmm. And trailing off, like, had all of those trailed off midway, I think, through the Messner Loeb stuff, came back somewhat late through the Wade stuff, stayed through Wade, again, dropped it with Johns, came back to Johns. So I'm very much a Wally West Flash person. When I was really young, I had some of the more traditional, um, Elite S. Magan, Barry Allen stuff, and it was all a little, strange for me as a kid like i remember picking it up because i think i like the the appeal of the character like the design of the costume and stuff and the various comic book effects with the flash are always fun but i yeah. remember being well, the, like, the flash is a very visual character especially yeah. like in, in you know the silver age and then the bronze age yeah the, a large part of his appeal was was the 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 visual mm-hmm. and and jeff just to do just to be completely anal, you mean carry aids thank you I was totally like, I don't even, I couldn't keep track of, which is a shame because of course only recently, you know, in the last few years did I get to pick up that amazing Trial of the Flash trade, which was awesome and buy a bunch of old back issues and even move back very much sort of inspired by the Morrison writing so well and so lovingly about this stuff, going back and picking up the John Broom stuff and having it be just kind of weird moments like, wow, this is like kind of insane and fun. But so I guess I kind of am a fan of the character in a way that doesn't really, but in a weird way that doesn't really matter to me. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, I, I, yeah, I, I totally get that. And in many ways I feel that's the way I, uh, it's kind of the way I feel about a lot of Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I realized the other day, uh, actually because of Generations, the Generations promotion, um, that I don't – like I have DC characters where like I like the characters. Like I have read I, I, an unrealistic amount of Flash stories. I have read a stupid amount of Green Lantern stories. And it almost doesn't matter who is writing or who is drawing. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Marvel, it very much depends on the creative team. Like Power Man and Iron Fist, when it's it's Duffy and Gamel, is like one of my comics. But I've realized since then, if it's a bad creative team, I just I'm not interested. Or not even a bad creative team, like the the uh, David Walker Sandra Green book, right? Um, just doesn't work for me. And it's a good comic. I know it's a good comic, but it just doesn't resonate with me at all. You know, so like the affection I thought was with the characters is clearly with the creative teams. Right. In a way, that's just true of DC characters. Like I, I like DC, certain DC characters enough that you know I fucking read John Burns' uh, New God run. Right. And Jeff, those are not good comics. No, I know, I know exactly. No, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's. I feel like there's a part of me for where that fell off relatively early. I suppose like, like I just, and I'm not sure I've only in that sense, I've been pretty mercenary. Like I think I read 
you know, real strong patch of Spider-Man up to say issue, right up to issue 200. And then, and then that was it. I was kind of, I was kind of done. And every once in a while I'd hear about a team coming back and I'd be like, Oh, that sounds interesting to me. You know, if I heard good things, but yeah, I don't, I don't really like, even now when I say like, Oh yeah, son of Satan, it'd be great. If someone told me like, Oh, Hey, there's a son of Satan series coming out tomorrow. I'd be like, Wow, I pity those people, you know, unless, but if someone's like, oh yeah, it's a, it's a Son of Satan series and it's being like, I don't know, drawn by Eric Powell or something. I'm like, oh shit, I'm totally there, you know? Um, yeah. So, so I don't know. I think I've never had that stage at which any character really meant enough for me to really. Well, you say, you say that, but Mm -hmm. like if someone brought back, like if someone did OMAC, would you not at least pick up the first issue? Um, sure. Yeah. No, I would. I would. But it depends on what you mean by pick it up. Like, I mean, I would pick it up and I, I would mean, flip through I would it. read it. Yeah, I, I don't, don't even necessarily mean buy it. Like, read it at the store. Sure. I I think so. I mean, I think so. But mm, I mean, honestly, I didn't. I don't know if I really. I didn't read the entire first issue of John Burns OMAC, for example. I mean, admittedly, it's a little too big to read in a store, but I picked it up, I flipped through it, and then I put it down. I mean, I don't think I was really in love with OMAC before then. You've just just made me think that. I've never read that comic. Oh, see? There you go. You know, I I don't know. It's it's one of those... That was pretty my Kirby discovery. I'd never read OMAC at that point at all. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, like, yeah, that's crazy. I'm like, oh, wait, I don't think I had read OMAC before then, too, so maybe that doesn't really count. I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, honestly, in the 80s was, there was a period where a lot of those things kind of just shifted for me. Because characters, people came on and did things with the characters, and then I was like, eh. I I really started moving toward more towards uh towards the writers. I mean, and I think the thing that I talked about, and this was kind of a discovery with DC, is like, I'd read Teen Titans books as a kid, you know, but in the same way that I literally read every comic book that I could get my hands on, you know, when I was young. And then when I became a teenager and started to have, you know, an interest in quote unquote quality, uh, then I was like, okay, well, you know, so I'd read Wolfman and Perez's Teen Titans characters and I liked them, but there was no way. I mean, I think I knew inherently there's not anything about Dick Grayson under Wolfman and Perez that was necessarily going to exist in earlier iterations of the character, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing for somebody who had like an obscene number of comic books. Uh, I think I was always a little comparatively peripatetic. It was like, oh, okay, this character's interesting. Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was a character that just never... I want to say never worked for me. Like I picked up a few issues back in the seventies when the challengers popped up and God, who was drawing that? I don't shit. Oh, well. And I, I, it was like, Oh, you know, I think they even brought in rip hunter or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of in on this or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe it was a challenger series where they brought swamp thing in at the end. God damn it. I don't remember. Anyway, Swamp Thing never did anything for me. Then I read, you know, the anatomy lesson and, or actually, honestly, I think it was issue 25 was my first issue of, um, Saga of the Swamp Thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in it, you know, but I never really have the let's root for the home team kind of thing of like, oh, I'm always going to love this character, 
no matter what, you know? It's like, I don't even think I feel that. The closest I might weirdly come to feeling that way might just be Batman. And only because that started really late. Like when I was a kid, it was Spider-Man all the way. And even now I'm just like, mm, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. Like I loved Green Lantern or Flash in, um, Grant Morrison's characterizations of them so much, you know, of Wally West and Kyle Rayner mm -hmm. and, and you could sort of pick up the books around that time and sort of pretend that they were the same characters, really. <laughs> but they, but they really weren't. But they really weren't. And it, you could really, you could also kind of tell. So it was just kind of that weird, sort of super frustrating feel for me is, is in a way, mm -hmm. those characters are really never really kind of aren't the same, which I think is, I, I started reading comics when I was young enough and dumb enough to kind of believe in that myth, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, okay. I want to pivot off that. I, you, I, I know you saw me tweet it out because you favorited the tweet, but I don't know if you read it. Did you read Meg Downey's thing about uh, fan fiction? No, I favored, faved it so I could read it later and I haven't read it yet. Uh, so Meg Downey is, is a, uh, a writer she writes for cbr and a few other places she, um she writes for dc comics like i'm not even sure she gets credited for the stuff she writes for dc's website but um she wrote a piece on medium about uh fan fiction and the way that basically people who are publishers are mm, the gap between publishers official fiction and mm -hmm. fan fiction is growing wider mm -hmm. and that fan fiction is perhaps a better indicator of what the audience actually wants from characters because the audience is creating it. And she's like, it's her she sort of goes into more detail around secret empire, mm -hmm. uh, arguing that if you follow trends in fan fiction, what, while the idea of Steve Rogers turns evil is a trope that would appear in fan fiction. Mm -hmm. The focus would not be on what he does while he's evil, but how he recovers from that after. Mm -hmm. And she's like, whereas for Marvel, the focus is how evil can he get? Let's do a crossover series about it. Right. And that, that there's an obvious disconnect there. But one of the, like, I kind of want to spit it off, pivot off what you were just saying, because it sounds to me like you've never had uh, the relationship with the character that would obviously like make you write fan fiction about them. I'm not saying Jeff Tell is all about your fan fiction about that right. before, right? But I guess what I'm saying is, like, when reading Meg's piece, one, like, she starts off by basically going, "You know, someone who has written or read fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Like these days, that is just a, a, a certainty, mm -hmm. especially if you exist in cultural spaces that include fandom on the internet." Like, the, then you just do. And one of the things I thought about in Reddit was like, I've never really been tempted to write fan fiction since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And when you're a kid, you do. You make up your own comics about your, your favorite characters. Right. That's just what you do. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And I'm sure you did. I know I did. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, my, my X-Men, like, when I was, shit, how old would I have been? Between the ages of like 10 and 13. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Yeah, I worked on my X-Men comics like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. um, but since then, like, I, I, you know, there are characters, as I was saying, that I have, like, you know, 
something's published featuring, you know, fucking Darkseid, I'm going to read that fucking comic. But it would never dawn on me to write fanfiction, not in ter- not out of any, like, snobby will fanfiction, you know? Mm-hmm. But because I don't have a dominant narrative about Darkseid mm-hmm. or about any of these characters. Right. If that makes sense. Like, there's nothing where I'm like, well, no, this, this is, this is them. And that's not to say, like, you know, I can't read comics and, you know, I'm looking at you, Justice League 23.1 or whatever the issue was, where it's like, here's Darkseid's origin. And they came up with a whole new origin for him. And I was just like, nope. Yeah. Nope. Right. Yeah. Not, nope. I, I, I refuse to accept this. You're right. Exactly. But, um, I, I, there's no, you know, Meg's Meg's theory is essentially fan fiction exists because fans feel they have a dominant narrative that they have to advance. Um, and I, I've never, like, I've, I don't think I felt that as an adult. I, w- I would have to, I would have to read her article because I feel that fanfic is, to me, in my mind, very explicitly come arises from a need to take the characters to the place that that they. That the that they will wouldn't will not go in the the official corporate space, and sometimes that's them being explicitly gay. Sometimes that's the uh, romance between the two characters that you know has to be on a slow boil for TV shows before Cheers. You know where it was like, oh, they were never going to get together because they never did. You know, is like you had that happen. You know, you basically, you had to take the characters out, your, your desire to have them do the things that, you know, sort of provided the chemistry or the tension or the whatever that you, that you needed, that you could not get. You were never going to get it within the corporate space, you know, and therefore the drive. And so to me, it's not necessarily even per se, the idea of a narrative isn't necessarily the strongest, you know, at least from the things that I've seen in fanfic, you, it, that you are making an argument through your fiction for what you're saying is happening, why it should happen or how it works. Or someone reads it and you're like, damn, right. This is the characters that I know this makes sense of having this happen. But, uh, but a lot of times if that, whether that's, you know, Stucky or, um, you know, uh, Sherlock and Watson, or Kirk and Spock, but, but even outside the realm of sexual stuff, even if it's like, I don't know, you know, some, some various thing of like Superman killing, you know, what, whatever it is, those, those narratives, I think basically came from the desire for us to have a little bit of relief essentially from the, way that corporate narratives drove interest by usually for the most part, not giving you um, what you wanted. This is why actually it took me such a long time to be realize kind of how genius in a way DC's imaginary stories of the silver age were because they were essentially fanfic that was, you know, out of continuity, but you still get, you got to see a scene where it's like, Oh, finally fucking, Clark Kent's kissing Lois Lane. It's about goddamn time, 
you know, and she's telling him that she's always loved him and it's being drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger. How great. And then you turn the page and it's like, oh, they're both dead because of red kryptonite syphilis. Shit. You know what I mean? But at least you get up to that point. Even the red kryptonite syphilis where someone's sitting there being like, oh, man, I've been waiting for this day for years. You know, I so all those needs, I don't necessarily know that they are narrative needs. What I think is interesting is, is that as time has gone on, I feel that as the audience has become more sophisticated in their crafting abilities and in a way as the purveyors of this stuff are are more directly mm, forced to respond to their audience um i think you see i don't know i just think that you see a, a level of things where it's like the, those those things quote unquote come out in i suppose narrative needs but interestingly enough for myself as a kid who wanted to make comics and wanted to be a writer for comics i think one of the best Things that you, and by which I mean probably honestly the worst thing that you do, is you read a bunch of comics, you figure you're going to break into comics one day, you have your takes on what you want to make that character do, um, and you also kind of learn like, oh, you can't have, you, you, you know, you kind of can't have your first story be... I don't know, you know, Thor kills Loki and is banished to space and therefore there's a search for a new Thor and it ends up being, I'm going to say Jane Foster. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's just that <laughs> thing of like, you don't do that. Like, for a long time, the whole idea was like, how do you take over the book? And it seems exactly in line with the first 300 some odd issues, you know, I think. And it was only when I was a teenager that you started seeing people who were kind of like, Daredevil, you know, Frank Miller's like, yeah, no, this Daredevil is different from the same character. All those other stories happen, but I'm not necessarily writing the character the same way. Or Simonson steps in and he's like, yeah, this is this is who I'm going to have be Thor now. But I mean, even then, Simonson's doing it very strongly in the concept of here's all these other characters that you know, and I'm making small changes to them, you know. But even in my head at that time, I was like, oh, that's not Baldur's hair color. What what are you doing? You know, or he's not that fat. You know, or whatever weird uh, obsessive detail I was going to fixate on. I mean, this, the sad part is, is that I feel that that the promise of becoming a, a comic book writer seemed very real because the entrance sort of seemed so low, you know, back then, that I think you really quickly learned to strap yourself into into making, you know, quote unquote, just a good Spider-Man comic. You know, and and the way that and how you set that template for it was from the other stories that you loved. It's kind of amazing that you can get someone like Hannah Blue and right now who can do such an amazingly satisfying Spider-Man. And that's either in spite of or really because of she hasn't read the Spider-Man comics, you know. But that character has permeated the culture so much that she can take it accurately enough and create her own version that is recognizable to everyone. You know, so again, well, there's th that's me. like th that's mm -hmm. also that interestingly enough speaks to Hannah's point, uh, not Hannah's point, uh, Meg's point in, in a lot of ways because it was fan fiction, right? That Marvel then adopted. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and Marvel adopted, and then the response, at least as much as I saw on the internet, was, 
oh, we want more of this one. Absolutely, which is fabulous and is one of those things where I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that either means that Marvel's – and Marvel right now is really desperate. It may be the perfect time that we'll see more of that. But four or five years ago, it would have been kind of a way to see almost certainly less of that, I suppose. Like Marvel would be like, oh, okay, people want this? Yeah, we really got to shut this down, you know? One of the things that's been great about the internet is reading – Really satisfying, like, the adventures of, what's the, what's the damn comic strip with, like, all the Justice League, all the DC superheroes in elementary school together? Oh, God. Uh, are you talking about JL8? Yeah, no, JL8. JL8. I think Is so, that what right? it's called? I think so. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, you know, that's, it's, that's goddamn fun. Like, I actually oh, really. No, you, you no. and me are parting ways in that one. Oh, really? That's really funny. Yeah. Let me make sure that I've got the right comic. Um, the one by Yale Stewart, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Boy, Yale Stewart ended up getting some big shit over something. Yeah, it's been a, it's been yeah. a while. But yeah, no, I, I did. I was like, yeah, JL8. Or the second issue of Valiant High. I think it's really smart that v- Valiant is doing a Valiant High because it's something for, you know, it's. I know it's aimed for people probably about, 35 years younger than me, but it, the, you know, the idea is basically solid. Like you do a high school comic, you introduce all the characters in it, and it's a way to be a primer for those characters and those narratives that you can be kind of like, oh, I'm sort of into this live wire character, you know, and why don't I go hunt them down and see what the real book is like? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, I think there's ways in way, I think fanfic can be incredible entrance ways to the real characters, but the problem, quote unquote, real characters, you know, but the problem is, is that those characters, like if you, if you fall in love with the way that a character is written in fanfic, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to pick that up and be like, oh, this is, you know, this is the Batman that I know and love, you know, or even really just for me, I become, I've definitely become the, the sort of jaded hedonist that, you know, is like, ugh, I'm only interested in Batman if he's actually married to someone and he's got his super sons, you know, and Batman Jr. and Superman Jr. are in a, uh, has to be in a, a, a what was it, an RV traveling around America solving crimes? You know, <laughs> like, that's, that's the only Batman I am interested in, you know, with a little bit of the occasional Adam West, you know. For why, do, why, gravity. why do you become French? I don't. I don't know. It's a thing. It is a strange thing. It's. A, it's a, I am how you say a hedonist. You know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I just. I mean, because I do have that thing. Part of me is like, maybe that's a good thing. Because again, we're at the point where these characters have been around so goddamn long. You know that you don't. At least for me, I'm like. I can't, I just can't, I just can't keep reading Spider-Man, you know? It's like, I'll gladly read Hannah's Spider-Man, like, day or night, you know? It's like, I've been, if if the damn Miles Morales comic had been a little less expensive and had a little more story in its first issue or two, I think I'd still be reading it. But, you know, I say that, I haven't made space for it on Marvel Unlimited. I don't know, there's just characters where I'm like... In my the sad part, there's part of my brain that I think is a fanfic writer. That it, it every time I read, you read a comic, a superhero comic, your 
participating in creating that character and some people give you enough material that you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, I can't say that I've ever really been interested in Tiger, in Tigra, for example, despite having a chunk of comics that she's in, but rereading her in West Coast Avengers, I was like, oh my God, like Englehart's got, I mean, you know, talk about the fanfic, you know, he's got, here he is where it's like, I got to that Kyle Baker issue where I was complaining about the art in West Coast Avengers. And then you get to an issue drawn by like Kyle Baker where Tigra's making out with like, a, you know, basically doing it with a cat dude on a cliffside somewhere. And it's like, huh? Yeah. Wow. Englehart really went for it. I got to tell you, he just, he, you know, <laughs> and part of me is kind of like, Hey, that's kind of cool. I mean, it's sort of distressing that, you know, you, you did, that may not be a female character that women are like, yes, very exciting, sexually adventurous superhero. We, you know, but you know, it's, but for me, I'm like, huh, this kind of, yeah, I'd like to, re- I'd like to read more about this. Or even like, um, oh my God, the issue where, and I know I've read it before, and I don't know if it's just me getting old and soft or whatever, but when Ultron Mark 12 shows up with Hank Pym. Is, is that the, the good Ultron? Yes. Where he's like, dad, I'm going to show you, I'm going to make you proud of me, dad. And of course, because it's, you know, Englehart, it's all exclamation points. And it's about that declamatory, but it's, beautiful the scene where they like actually like oh mark hugs him he's like call me mark and he like gets on the little sky sled and he's like i'm really proud of you dad and hank pym of course is in such a desperate place and it's great because he's sort of like oh my god robots told me he's proud of it god help me i need to actually hear this and then you know he mark's asking him like i always felt guilty about you and breaking up with the wasp and did i did a you know, kind of like every kid blames himself for their parents' divorce. Was this my fault? And it's such, it's just, it's fucking Englehart being what I love about him is, is the melodrama is, you know, what he's there for. So it's all cut up front. And then the, the betrayal. And then when Mark dies, it's just like, I was like, Oh my, my, it hurts so much. My heart, <laughs> this Graham, this is your Logan. <laughs> And, and I mean, it's just a, it's sort of a quick dash off Englehart. Yeah, yeah, now I'll have to more sex with the cat people. But I'm, I, that, that just broke my heart. That was just devastating this week to read, you know, and devastating and just that weird kind of like, God bless him. Cause one of the things that is great about this West Coast Avengers trade is, is at the end of it, they have the four page, uh, interview from Marvel Age that Kurt Busiek actually conducts. Um, with Steve Englehart about his return to Marvel Comics in the 80s and his vision in Scarlet Witch series and West Coast Avengers. And uh, so it's very much like Englehart talking about how West Coast Avengers are like what makes it different from East Coast Avengers and him talking about how he likes team books where characters really like being on the team and are proud that they're on the team and et cetera, et cetera. But he really talks about characterization, you know, and how much it means to him. And there's just that weird... As I, as we've mentioned ad infinitum on these episodes, God love him. That guy really believes it and will take those characters into weird places, you know? And, and I think really it just can end up making them better for it. I don't know. I, it'll be interesting, of course, as, as you know, Graham, but I do not. We're going to get to that point where Englehart's writing the Fantastic Four, 
under some very weird circumstances and it'll be well i i really wish that like we could just go straight into that mm-hmm. because it's gonna blow your mind jeff oh i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure i remember peeking at the issues when they're coming out on the stands and just being kind of like what the what the fuck so yeah i'm i'm really curious i'd love to jump in there but i do have that thing of like you would probably know better than i do well actually so here's the thing as you know like kirby's does 18 issues of mr miracle and then you know a few years later you get Englehart and marshall rogers come in and those issues are also coming up on comiXology uh, are they? Because I've never read those issues. Okay, they're available on Comicsology now. I think all because I think Englehart and Rogers only did four issues. I think, and I I I want to say that maybe the fourth issue, or maybe even the third and fourth issue, are Englehart finishing them up under a pseudonym because he's not happy about you know editorial direction. I don't remember. Uh, and I remember reading those at the time and being kind of like. Uh, I, I'm not sure if Englehart gets it. Now, admittedly, my reading of Mr. Miracle was really scant at the time I was picking up those issues. Like, I did not have the whole run of Mr. Miracle at all, or even close. But at the same time, I was like, I don't know if this is right, you know? So, we'll see. Because I, I think, you know, you remember the premise, right, with, with, uh, for Englehart's Mr. Miracle, right? Because it's, no, I've never read it. I, I don't know. Anything. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if anyone had described it to you. I, is, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say anything then. Cause in part, because my memory is so bad looking on the internet, I think you're right. It looks like Doug Minch's Batman Catwoman stuff was back in something like 86 or something, which I'm like, God, what is wrong with my brain? I was so sure that it was like the early nineties, but. Graham is right. I am wrong. That's why you're both the alpha and the rainbow. No, glittery. Munch is, Munch is 90s. <laughs> Manchester Batman is in the 90s is like the the uh what was it called Nightfall era right Nightfall era stuff yeah yeah no I'm just I'm just yeah I'm just old I'm just old I'm getting too old to podcast Graham I'll be like oh, you're never Batman. too old to podcast never <laughs> take that back <laughs> take it back now I know. Dude, that's I know. not true. No. <laughs> but, Jeff. But. <laughs> Graham, did I tell you about interviews with monster girls? <laughs> is this your new pastime? It It is. It's fun. I don't think that it's Graham McMillan fun. I think you'd be like, oh, it's okay. But for those of us who sort of like the manga, it it's uh it's basically a... The idea is is that uh, there's a teacher at a high school, and this is in a world where there are demi-humans, essentially, quote-unquote, monsters exist, vampires, succubi, um, I forget the name of the headless girl, but it's basically a haladin, I think, that's like a, 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 a girl who carries her own head around. Um, and uh, in, her, in her hands and has like sort of a vaporous flame above her neck. And uh, these are all sort of monstrous types that seem to exist in the world. And this one high school teacher who has spent, you know, the majority of his life kind of wishing that he had been able to actually meet them and and find out, like, sort of how they – who they are in the world, how they work. But they're supposedly super rare, and then the, the gist is, like, four of them all pop up 
in the, the course of the first episode of this high school. So each, epi- each episode is him interacting usually with a different type of, of, uh, of monster girl. And one of the things that's great about it is it's that classic, you know, sort of fan service because he's the teacher and at least three of them are like older high school students. They sort of have crushes on him. And he's of course, like, you know, kind of the perfect mentor figure. So sublimated romance, the succubus is like the gym teacher or something like that. And so she also, she is also an adult, but because of the nature of her powers and things, she doesn't, can't have any sort of relationship and therefore is sort of pining for him. So it's one part, just kind of soppy high school fan service, which is why I'm like, oh yeah, Graham will not like this at all. But the other part is really kind of surprisingly fun and sophisticated world building. Like the author spent a mm-hmm. lot of time kind of thinking about like, oh, how are vampires going to work in the real world? And also how does that make sense with, you know, like how would you have a vampire student like what how does she feel about drinking blood but also what kind of personality does that make her she also has a twin sister who's not a vampire what's their relationship like you know the succubus how does she comport herself in order to be able to get by in the world and blah 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 it's i'm only like i just finished the first volume and i'm starting the second it's kind of uh it's really enjoyable i'll be kind of curious to see sort of how much the thing with manga guys and always guys, you know, creators of all genders is how much the good ones can take an idea that you're like, Oh yeah, you can get maybe three volumes out of this. And somehow they managed to make it to like volume 12. And you're like, really? How did, how did you do that? That I thought this was a one note joke. How the hell have you been doing this for like 15 years? So uh, so we'll see. I just wanted to mention it in passing because, because I realize we're sneaking up on the end of the podcast. And I also thought I was going to say we're, we're at the two, two hour mark and I, mm-hmm. I, you know, wait, at some point I'm going to turn into bees, Jeff. <laughs> it's true. No, no, the bees are the three hour. Although I have to say this episode has been my, the internet on my side must be rough. This is going to be the classic thing where you admit like, oh yeah, I haven't been able to, you've just been like a series of clicking and clacking it's like you're like you're just entirely mandible ish jeff but you you've you've come and gone there's there's where you've definitely like not been very clear i'll put it that way yeah and we've got a couple of like stammerings from your part that are that are the feed so so hooray everyone welcome welcome to the podcast welcome to shitty internet yeah god damn it it really pisses me off because the only way that I think we can get around this is to pay for like business internet, which of course is like, hey, it's a fucking arm and a leg, you know. So I don't know. I'll figure it out. Um, but yes, I just wanted to point that in there. That was a fabulous recommendation, and I'm also still enjoying it. And also, it was the one thing that I could talk about that was quote unquote new, as opposed to me being like Engelhart, Engelhart, and <laughs> Tim Blaine. I, okay, Tim I Blaine. want to. I would very, very quickly then along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've talked about this before. Terms and conditions that are Sikoriak. Yes. Um, graphic novel. Right. Uh, have you, it's out now, I believe. Yes. I, I believe it's actually now. Have you seen it yet? Uh, I've seen pages of it. I haven't seen it in full. 
I, I read, I don't know, maybe like a dozen pages of the webcomic, I suppose. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to say, hey, that's a great idea and not a great book. Yeah. Yep. Because the joke just doesn't – like the joke is, is the idea. Mm-hmm. The joke is a joke. It's not a book. Mm-hmm. And so all you're left with is how well can he ape art styles of other artists? And in some cases, really well. In other cases, not. Mm-hmm. But even then, it turns into just like an odd curio. You know? And yeah. not one you should be paying $15 for. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's like I, I remember reading it online and being sort of into it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is, um, this is kind of like, if you, if people are into this, they should really pick up Boom Boom number two. Cause one of the things that actually really struck me about the Sikoriak stuff was in some cases, and I don't remember, I think there was a Steranko page that he did. Um, and I'm like, oh, he's really just doing the page. Like he's clearly sort of redrawing it, but he's well, not that, that's just it. It's the end it, of the but... book. The end of the book is literally pages I copied. Mm-hmm. I, there's something about that particularly that makes you go, oh, this is actually less clever than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not even that you're, you're actually aping the style. You're literally just redrawing an actual page. Exactly. Exactly. And to me, if you want to see that done to the level of genius, um, you know, boom, boom, number two, which tells the origin of James Joyce's Ulysses by lifting pages from Marvel origin stories from the origin of Marvel comics is David Lasky just to me hitting that like right out of the formalist park. That to me is still like the most genius um, taking of that idea because of course Lasky's doing things with that in a very specific way that mirrors and informs a reading of Joyce's Ulysses. It's just, it's God damn, that's clever. And then, so for me, Sikoriak stuff, and I, I have loved some of Sikoriak's various, you know, parodies that have run. Yeah. Like, like masterpiece comics he did. Yeah. It was exactly. him, right? Which yeah. is a great book and is essentially terms and conditions, but smarter and better done. Right. Well, and this is the weird thing is I sort of feel that the terms and conditions thing was something that he was doing kind of as a Tumblr joke that sort of yeah. blew up and big. Then, yeah. And then you it know? turned up into a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of me is like, okay, so that's like, I'm kind of glad for him, but, but yeah, when you, when you look at masterpiece comics, oh my God. Also, you know, the great thing about our, Sikoriak is um, his tie to the Venture Brothers. You know, that's the part that always um, freaks me out is uh, James Urbaniak, who does the voice of everyone. No, does does the <laughs> voice Dr. of, Venture. yeah, Dr. Venture. He was our Sikoriak's roommate for um, several years. So, and it, one of the things I love about James Urbaniak is he, it, I've only seen him on one panel, but I also read some article with him, like with the Onion AV Club. He always drops that in. Like he's, it's something that he's either, he's super proud of is, is that he's like, yeah, so I really knew, um, 
like indie cartoonists and comics because this was my roommate for years. And, I, and, and in fact, it was great because I was at the thing and I was like the only person who clapped when he said Arsa Koryak. And he was like, oh, kind of looked around like who's clapping, you know, and the rest of the audience is like, who's who who is clapping? Why is someone clapping? What happened that someone clapped about this? So fun fact is uh, your podcasting partners a nerd. Ta-da. <laughs> what's great is i accidentally just had myself on mute and i was shouting at you during that entire story so really because you everyone. were so dead quiet i was like oh man no i i had myself on mute. Like... i was like jeff congratulations for clapping you should have stood up and said it's me it's me but I, <laughs> <laughs> I was like jeff is just ignoring me what's going on i looked at and i was like oh, i'm on mute <laughs> okay thank god because you I, all right that went both ways i was like huh graham my goodness wow once you Google for information on a story and you find yourself enough time, you just don't, uh, you just don't really appreciate the common man. All right. All right. I've, I, what's funny is normally it's you that puts yourself on mute and doesn't realize. And I like, Oh, Jeff. No, that was totally me just now. <laughs> and I, it was like, I was like, why, why is like, why is Jeff just not even responding? It's what true. The fuck? It just has <laughs> that dick. He yeah. Just talk through me. What, what is going on with him? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, the other thing, very quickly, is yes. uh, I didn't like Terms and Conditions, but Boundless by Jillian Tamaki is coming out apparently in June, according to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. It's Jillian Tamaki short stories. And Jillian Tamaki, of course, the illustrator of uh, this That One Summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and various other things. And it's uh, it's very freeform, mm-hmm. I think is the way I'm going to say it. Uh, it feels like it could be lots of mini comics that they've just compiled into an anthology, mm-hmm. but god damn it, she's amazing. <laughs> she's an amazing cartoonist. It's a really, really, really good book. Wow, that's fabulous. It, it's one of those things that, you, like, if nothing else, you owe it to yourself to find it in, a, in the store and pick it up and leaf through it just to look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I really, it. really great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So yes. Good to know. I will look for that because that is um, this one summer was. Oh my god, that was just so amazingly well done. Oof. Yeah. So the the, the art in in Boundless is is up there, mm-hmm. but because she does lots of different things, like it's also there's other styles. So you you just like you, the writing is very good, but it is a book where you just look at it and you're like, oh Jesus Christ, mm. this is amazing. So read that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I will. Damn it. It's not a but it's very good. Okay. I no, I just I brought those two up cuz we were talking about like reading things that aren't like old superhero comics. Yes. And those are the two things I've read this week that that fit into that. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, in yeah. terms of comics. They're like there's also other things we read which aren't comics, but there you go. Yes, exactly. Which we should jump in about uh at some point, but because I have such a hideous day lined up tomorrow and I've got to get this thing edited, um, I'm going to uh, officially wave the flag on the field and, and ask that we move to uh, closing comments, if you don't mind. Fine. People. <laughs> Jeff, 
being an old fart, I'm making a stop. So I guess I've got to tell you now that because Jeff wants to like sleep or something before he has a busy Sunday, Jesus, that I should probably tell you that we're at waitwhatpodcast.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, every episode since our quote-unquote relaunch, and every Baxter building. We're also on Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter, at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff is on Twitter as himself, at lazybastard, at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter as myself, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are a Patreon supported podcast. And when I say Patreon, Jeff puts on his Patreon pom poms and says, <laughs> "That sounds terrifying." The Patreon pom poms and me having them. Uh, yeah, Patreon is a wonderful place where people uh, like go and throw a little bit of money our way. Usually, is a way to um, and are super kind about it and are like, "Hey." Thanks, thanks for all that you do all these years. They're incredibly gracious. They're incredibly sweet. And because of their efforts, um, we have things like the Baxter Building uh, podcast, which literally came about as a stretch goal uh, that that uh, they they made happen. Um, we are super super grateful to everyone who listens. Uh, definitely, but we're very grateful to the people who do take the the extra moment to kind of thank us via. A, a bit of dosh over at Patreon, including the kind crew at American Nine Art Studios and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're grateful for their continuing support of the podcast and that they have not either toppled this planet and or crushed this galaxy. So thank you. Let's let's for a minute just talk about bit of dosh. Yes. Jeff, have you been watching like Guy Ritchie films or something? <laughs> You know what I wish they had because it is they there was a beautiful frame period of time where it was on either Netflix or Hulu and they did not uh they removed it is uh that Mitchell and Webb look because as you know the the is, one of is the, that off Netflix now? I think that so. Is, like that used to be a Netflix mainstay. Yeah, I know. Maybe it's back on, but the last time I looked at it, cause of course, right around the election, the, as you know, Tumblr and Twitter were alight with like various stills of the, are we the baddies? Are we the bad guys? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, are we the baddies sketch, which was genius, but they had of their many ongoing things, they had the gold for Dosh, Dosh for gold, 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 golden Dosh. And so I was always like, Oh, spot a Dosh. Yeah. That's. Dosh is like the just great. I it's one of those unfortunate. Um, oh, I'm an American guy, and I will sound more. Uh, I, I I've completely fooled myself into thinking that I sound more cool by dropping in the occasional Britishism in there. Probably true, but Dosh is just great. <laughs> Jeff approves of Dosh, ladies and gentlemen. I do. I... I'm pro Dosh. <laughs> Jeff is pro Dosh. <laughs> You know what I mean? Gosh, Gosh is... look, it's not even that late and we're getting loopy. What's going on? <laughs> it's not. We we normally go later than this before we get absolutely weird. Yeah. What oh, happened? Hey, so listen, before we go, there. this was the thing I was like, oh, shit, I meant, meant to mention this. So the Cursed Earth Saga uh, comes out. It's around. <laughs> wow, 19... bring it back home, Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Well, because it, it comes out, it's around 1978 or so, right? I think. Does that, uh, that sound about right? Like, that, I mean, 
I would say like maybe 79, but yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. Believe me, if it's 79, it's all the better for me. It may have started in 78 and ran forever, but of course, you know, I mean, I can't, I'm only on chapter 15 or 16, which is, you know, only what, three or four months. The reason why I ask is, uh, there is a character, Pat Mills, who I think, again, is a genius. Um, we just got through the Burger Wars section, which was John Wagner and I think I can't remember if the Jolly Green Giant stuff, which is by someone else, comes before or after it. But basically, Satanus, uh, right? You, you, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, right. So, giant, so, giant dinosaur, yeah, giant. Fuck. So here's the thing that weirds me out, right? It is the same year as Kirby's Devil Dinosaur, like more or less exactly. And I'm wonder. I've reading this. I was completely obsessed. To the extent to which Pat Mills, on the one hand, it is such a Pat Mills trope because it's really easy to go from Hookjaw to Shaco to Satanus. You know, it's basically the same amazing ass. I'm a giant killer. I live just to kill. I've been raised to kill, 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 kill. Like, be terrified of me. And yet the fact that he's this Instead of you have devil dinosaur, you have a Trinosaurus called Satanus that I think is black. I don't, I don't know. There was only just one color page featuring the character. So I, I don't know, but I'm kind of, but it's told from the point of view and, and I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea that Pat Mills saw an issue of devil dinosaur and was like, oh shit. Yes. Right. I can do this. I, and, more than anything, I wouldn't be surprised if Pat Mills saw a cover of devil dinosaur. Oh yeah. I was like, yep. Right. Right. Well, I mean, a little bit, cause it totally, some of the postures and the things are great. I mean, what's fabulous is one of the things that I actually posted on Twitter is the one or two panel where Pat Mills more or less creates Jurassic Park, you know, uh, uh, well over a decade before Michael Crichton gets away uh, with doing it, you know? just dashes it off. It's like, ah, yeah, we've got the DNA. We can create dinosaurs. What should we do with them? Oh, I know we should open a park because everyone would love, will take their, you know, kids to see dinosaurs and we need the funding. Just two panels. It's just a throwaway thing. It's just a throwaway in the, I mean, cause part of my obsession is, is while reading Satanus, I'm like, okay, a, this is clearly a backdoor pilot for a Satanus comic. You can just, which, which there was. Right, right. I'm right. Har- Flash, Flash is, is the spinoff, isn't it? Am I getting those mixed up? No, is Flash I not actually a spinoff? It's, it's, I, my understanding is it's the other way around. It's Fle- Flesh is the opening. Flesh led to this? Okay. Yeah, it's the, the one eye, the dinosaur in Flesh is Satanus's mother. So, um. Of course. Of course, exactly. So the DNA is recreated and all that. So Pat Mills, I mean, it really was. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, all we really need is for Satanus to end up wearing the Dread Helmet because Satanus is basically Pat Mills' Beta Ray Bill for those, like, three <laughs> chapters. It really – it is. It's, like, huge amounts of backstory of, like, and then Satanus was out to take out the She-Hag. You know, it's just, uh, okay, fine. I love Pat Mills and the Cursed Earth so much, but I really did have that obsession of like, they're the same character really filtered through the same thing. I mean, you, you've of course heard my OMAC, my Jack Kirby Phil Dick theory, right? I forget. Did we ever discuss that on the podcast or no? 
Uh, I'm not sure if we've ever done it on the podcast. Um, do you want to do it now or do you want to save it for a future podcast? We should save it for later. But let's just say that clearly you can always tell how much I love a character, a creator, when they I decide that they and Jack Kirby are basically the same person. So, <laughs> And there we go. Uh, I, feel, I feel like that movies. is an amazing tease for a future episode of Wade Vaught. <laughs> Jeff's unified theory of Kirby is coming up. It's not coming up in the next episode, which will be in two weeks, because that is going to be a Baxter building. Yes, it will. That's right. And I can't even remember what it's just... No, I can't. We're doing issues uh, 261 through 270. Yes, we are. Oh, wow. that's four. Um, but that is in two weeks. Maybe in three weeks we will get to this. Yeah. If, if Jeff... If Jeff and I remember that we even set up this team. I can't tell you the yeah. number of times that I'm like, shit, I still need to talk about The Fireman by Joe Hill. Shit. But, uh, yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't hold your breath. Well remembered at 219. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, I'm sorry. I really, and I begged you to, like, call off the episode. So, yeah, I'm so sorry. Great. Well done, Jeff. Uh, yeah, we're going to be back in, in two weeks with the Baxter Building, and then we're going to be back in three weeks with the regular uh, Wade Watts. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Jeff, would you like to say goodbye before I sing us out? Goodbye, listeners.